it's Jack Nicholson playing the fucking Joker. I mean, come on, it's 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 fucking Jack. My expectations for the X Men franchise were so low they could huh. be found next to dinosaur bones. Because like X Men: The Last Stand, you know, was a horrible piece of shit. She had been reserved up until that point to some extent, and then she drops the whole large cock line. It's like whoa. Why didn't you call him? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. You ran a security check on me. Well sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it. It gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. What happened? Did your your balls drop off? (laughs) 
Hey guys, welcome into episode number 10 of Film Tank. We've made it to 10. That's exciting, right? Uh, <laughs> um, on this episode, we will be doing something a little different. We are going to do our list of our top six superhero movies. Each Bonus! Host, uh, <laughs> we just like to go the extra step. That's right, the extra mile, because we like to do it a little more than everybody else. Uh, you already heard some of the voices. Uh, Nick Cheney with us today, as usual. It's a bird. It's a plane. Oh, no, wait. It's just me. Okay. That wasn't your best. It's not your best work. Is it? Is it Superman, who apparently is uh, Hitler, uh, as the Batman and Superman trailer said? Yeah, he is wait, Hitler. Wait, he said though. that? They, they imply that he was becoming like that. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to go see that. <laughs> you said you started watching it, and then you only made it about 15 seconds in. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that trailer did nothing for me. Well, that's fine. Uh, you were not alone in that. Uh, also, Toussaint Egan on the show today. Yeah, I'm totally throwing in the towel on this uh, this this gimmick opening. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right, very good. And then uh, I think another guy who's thrown in the towel on the gimmick opening is uh, Kenny Marcellus. Yo. I don't think uh, he ever I, had yeah, a I, towel. Yeah, I never had a towel. He tried. Uh, he was just naked. One, one time. <laughs> see, you wouldn't have gotten this if you didn't listen to the oh, baseball episode. That's right. I did sing my way into one show. <laughs> no, I listened to that part, <laughs> okay. actually, because you told me about it, so I had to go, and I, I got to say, nice pipes. Never fucking again. That oh, is no. the one chance you will ever get. So if you want to hear me sing, someday we'll get Kenny Gooden drunk and we'll get him <laughs> to uh, sing the entire seventh inning stretch as oh, Kenny Carey. Now I just sorry, but I just thought of the greatest intros, and, but now I can't do it. No, we, we already next, passed that moment. Save it for the next time we do a top six superhero episode. Okay, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. Anyways, uh, as I mentioned, we're doing superhero movies, and a big oh. reason why is because uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron comes out next week. Uh, we're all going to go to a Thursday showing of it, and we're going to be actually putting out an episode on it uh, a week from uh, this Friday, and I guess that would be uh, May May the 1st, right? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. May 1st? Yes, I, I did, actually. I do. Okay. That. So look forward to that, but right now, uh, let's uh, let's just jump right in to our top six superheroes, and I think we should start a little Superhero differently. films, right? Because we're not just talking about our top six superheroes. Oh, did I say that? I'm you sorry. Did. I just want to make sure the audience is completely clear as to what's that, happening here. That is probably a good idea. And we did have an actual criteria for this because um, many of the uh, people on the show sent messages to other people being like, is this a superhero movie? And we're like, no. No, dude. Sorry, man. Yeah, this was harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> it wasn't for me. It no. took me four minutes to put my list together. Wow. <laughs> uh, so let's start a little differently. We're going to do a little uh, different rotation than usual. Let's start with Kenny. And uh, hear his number six on our uh, on our superhero show. Alrighty, um, I want to actually preface this real quick by saying that unfortunately, up until the last couple of years, I was never even a big superhero movie guy. Like that's too bad, and that's much <laughs> to my displeasure because, dude, now I'm hooked. Something clicked a couple of years ago, and Marvel. <laughs> Probably, to yeah, be totally yeah. honest with you. But if we were to do another one of these within like the next year, oh boy, it's going to be way different. That being said, my number six is actually um, it, it. It is an older movie. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's it's one of the few that I actually did see a while ago, and it was the first Spider-Man Ooh. from two thousand two. Not this first, but yeah. the first in that. Yep, Sam Raimi. Yeah, right. Um, there's just something about that one that I had seen it a couple times in the theater, and I've seen it. A few times since then, but I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and I went back and watched it a couple of days ago, and uh, it just brought me right back to it. That that movie, for some reason, is just a total screenshot of that time. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and and there are there are moments in in that movie that just haven't aged well, <laughs> like like when they're in Times Square and and Macy Gray is playing the, the parade <laughs> oh, and, and some of the billboards that are in there and everything. Yeah. But um, as far as the movie goes, it's it's the the first half of it as it's setting everything up is it's it's kind of a clunker, kind of a. They they got a really horrible cheesy wrestling scene. Yeah, wrestling. Yeah. You have to also remember you talk about not aging well. Wrestling was really popular yes. at the time. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it's just Toby Toby Maguire is just a colossal puss in the beginning <laughs> of the movie. Like he's just this nerdy, and I know that's how he was meant to be. Like yeah. he was cast as like the nerdy, you know, whatever. But yeah, and 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 even with uh, Kirsten Dunst, like I, there's just something about her as bad as her acting can be. Like I grew up watching movies with her in it and it's just that it's just i don't know something about that movie just brings me back to that time period and i just enjoy it not not to mention as as a movie itself spider-man his costume i feel is just one of the most badass superhero costumes out there the the colors and the design of it and just his 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 superpower just it's i don't know something about spider-man that (laughs) always just draws me in that i like more than than most superheroes. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man pretty much set the template long before Iron Man came out. Like that is now that set the bar for modern uh, superhero films. It's funny too because I feel like Kenny were talking about the way Spider-Man looks and the CGI used with him. I feel like Spider-Man looked way cooler in the that original movie mm-hmm. twelve years before the Amazing Spider-Man came out, where yeah, the, the yeah, graphics right. actually looked, I thought, pretty bad to me. His right. costume is like the only one that actually makes sense to me. Like everybody <laughs> right, else is right. either way too convoluted or like just does not conceal one's identity whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one other thing, really quick, I wanted to mention about that movie. Nick and I were talking about this earlier. It actually does a terrific job of having a double origin story because you get Peter Parker's origin story, but you also get. Um, Willem Dafoe's portrayal of the Green Goblins. Oh, yeah, yeah that was something Oregon else I story. love. The Green Goblin is badass in that movie. Yeah. I, just something about his costume and that character. But they they picked yeah. the right. He's got that f- perfect voice for that character. Right. It was just great. So. They, um, I yearn for the days because I feel like all. And not, I'm not going to like bad talk some of the other movies that I'm sure we're going to bring up here, but mm-hmm. I do think there's a current trend right now where we're focusing less on villains, and I, I kind of I miss the days where like Spider-Man used to beautifully right. set up uh, that this was a story of two people, both the hero and the villain. Mm-hmm. Very good. So yeah, that's that's it. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to uh, Nick, as he will be the next person to give his sixth favorite superhero film. Well, thank you very much. Um, just like Kenny, I also want to preface what uh, my list is going to be because, unlike Kenny, I'm still not a superhero fan. <laughs> I've been watching them ever since I grew up, so it's not like it's something I even came late into. But I saw the Spider-Man movies when they came out. I saw the you know the Nolan Batman's when they were in theaters, and and all these uh, MCU films and whatnot. But it's just never been something that's inherently interesting to me. So I just want to make that known to the audience before I give my entire list because I'm sure my list will be a little esoteric and idiosyncratic because it's just uh, um, it's. I, I'll admit I kind of looked for movies that that I didn't you know they you don't normally see on other people's lists simply because those are the ones that I usually gravitate toward more because they weren't focusing as much on the superhero element. You got me on the edge of my seat, man. Let's let's hear your number six. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited now. Well, number six is actually something a little more straightforward, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a strange outing in a very popular franchise. It's The Wolverine. 
Okay. Uh, from 2013, directed mm. by James Mangold. This was the solo outing uh, of just the Wolverine in the X-Men franchise. No other X-Men characters show up in the main uh, film itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a little post-credits thingy that, uh, if people haven't watched, it's pretty great. Um, what I love about this film that I don't really get out of a lot of uh, superhero films, for me personally, is that there's a lot of thematic material going on that I feel like is even unspoken, which is kind of rare because superhero films are generally filled with people shouting at each other and monologuing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So this movie just kind of knocked me off my feet. I don't even think it's perfect or anything like that, but I was just kind of stunned by, A, uh, it's a visually gorgeous film. Uh, the the colors are off the charts in this movie, and it was shot on location in Japan, so the of course the lights and everything are just it's all, it's a mix between natural lighting of just the city landscapes, and of course just this, uh, whatever they rigged up, and it just looks gorgeous. Um, but another reason why I love it is just um, I just kind of like the idea, I think as I was growing up, X-Men was the only real superhero franchise I did get into. I watched all the Brian Singer ones when those were released, and I loved them. And uh, I'll probably get into that later with another film. Ooh. Spoiler warning. Is it, is it uh, X-Men 3? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so I'll get into that later. But um, I guess I kind of like... Because I've always thought that X-Men films were character-driven films instead of plot-driven films. That this was the we got this one chance to zone in on obviously one of the better characters in the franchise, and um, so therefore I just uh, I just think it's a very introspective and very uh, interesting film. I think it's got a third act problem that a lot of superhero films have, where mm-hmm. the climax gets a little bogged down. But there's just some really interesting character work, and for in a for a an American film, I thought it was a. Uh, pretty interesting culturally because uh, there's some great samurai parallels and just stuff you just don't normally see in a mainstream superhero film. So that is my number six, The Wolverine. Very good. My number six, uh, you may hear from this character again uh, in the, this episode, but my number six is uh, Iron Man 3, which uh, just came out a few years ago. When I saw this in the theater, I really genuinely loved it and enjoyed it and thought it was a really good superhero movie mm-hmm. and the more i've seen it actually the more i've liked it and um there are a couple things about it one thing is that iron man 2 was so bland that i feel like this just got everything right that iron man 2 got wrong mm-hmm. and i feel like it was such an interesting because we talk about directors really not having as much input as you'd like them to have in the marvel cinematic universe and I feel like Shane Black, the director from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, who directed Iron Man 3, yeah. I feel like he actually put himself into that movie more than you've seen from other films. Like mm-hmm. I feel like there are certain things about it that are really interesting. And there are also characters in it who, and actors who play the characters who do such a great job. Uh, Guy Pierce playing... He, you know, he ends up being pretty much the Mandarin. If you haven't seen it now, you, you missed out. Sorry. You um, missed out. And that that was also the thing that I always cannot get past from that movie that I love so much about it is Ben Kingsley, who is playing the Mandarin throughout. And you find out about halfway in that he's just a front for it. And it's just great. Mm-hmm. Especially because that is such an anti-superhero thing to do to kind of flip around what's happening in a movie like that. I just... I was a huge fan. And also, uh, I love Robert Downey Jr. I love his portrayal of Tony Stark in Iron Man. Dude, I, <clears throat> sorry. I, I love Robert Downey Jr. too. I, for some reason, I've never been able to get into the Iron Man franchise. Like I just uh, can't. Hmm. And I would love to watch him again to see if I can get into it. But 
I, I will say there are things about them that I could see that not rub people the wrong way, but aren't as interesting because I feel like that is a character that is more driven by the actor than anybody else in the MCU. Uh, I feel like Captain America, that not that it could have been anybody, but Chris Evans, you know, whatever. And uh, Thor, although Chris Hemsworth does a great job. And the Hulk, it's already been two people through two movies. So I feel like it's way more about him. And I feel like he's pretty much embodied what the character is. And it's, he, he's become the character and the characters kind of become who he is, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying about it not being your favorite just because it's a personal thing or whatever. But I, I eat it up every time. And a huge fan of Iron Man 3, and I'll probably watch it again in two weeks. An interesting <laughs> thing about just, – just roping back to your, your comment about Guy Pierce's betrayal, like his pro- portrayal yeah. of the Mandarin and Ben Kingsley. And his, his actual yeah. name in the movie is Aldridge Killian. So. Yeah. Um, I remember – this one short film that came out it was before agents of shield was it was a big thing when they were coming out with like shorter films that basically talked about the external universe of the the mcu right mm-hmm. and it had ben kingsley when he was in prison after the events of iron yeah, man that 3. came out uh, like a few months after iron man 3 yeah, came and, out, it, yeah. and it actually kind of like floated the idea that there is an actual mandarin that's not guy pierce mm-hmm. that is just like what like waiting in the shadows yeah. sort of yeah yeah, it's a it's a very interesting film, and it plays on a lot of different things. And there and there are great set pieces in it too. The mm-hmm. airplane with Air Force One thing, even um, Miguel Ferrer, who is a sort of un kind of su- surprised that he was in a movie like this. But we talked about him in the RoboCop episode, how he yep. plays that great smaller character and does the same thing here. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much in this movie for me that I enjoyed. So I was a huge fan, and uh, that's my number six. Yeah. Cool, Tucson. Six. Um, going off of yours, Alex, oh, okay. I'd have to say that my number six is not Iron Man 3, but rather the original Iron Man. Okay. It is my favorite film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, precisely for the fact that without it, the Marvel Cinematic Universe would not exist. And I don't think that it was it was planned outright from the start. I think that Iron Man was really a fluke, and then it kind of just ended up being this this match on the on, on the kindling that just like fired this entire thing up. The appearances from Agent Coulson from S.H.I.E.L.D. and the appearances from Samuel Jackson, those things I don't think were meant to set up for the larger cinematic universe. Those were just cameos. It's hard to say that now because that really wasn't that long ago. Right? That was, 2000, it was 2008. 2008. Yeah. yeah. And it represents a lot of things for me. It re- represents the the culmination of Robert Downey Jr.'s um, rise back to stardom. Mm-hmm. Like the, the idea of Robert Downey Jr. being this drug adult like dropout is just such a, a vague like fugue yeah. of a memory right now it's oh, like, yeah. i can't even yeah. imagine that now it's one of the brilliant you know i'm not the biggest it's a comeback fan of that movie, movie but yeah it's one yeah. of the most brilliant casting choices in any recent film memory because of how well not only the fact that obviously robert owns the role but how he does inhabit that role because he lived that life so to that whole art imitating life is something you rarely get from a superhero film, and so the fact that they were able to get that is just amazing. Yeah, exactly. I I earnestly did not care about Iron Man at all until Robert Downey Jr. Like I'm I'm the kind of person that I joke that Iron Man was created over thirty, forty years ago and it took that time for his personality to finally catch up with him yeah. with Robert Downey Jr. Like he he totally inhabits that role and to me they are um they are inseparable from one another. Like yeah. I, I hate. I, I don't hate. I strongly dislike. Yeah, we don't Tar- say hate on this. Podcast. I strongly dislike 
Terrence Howard, and I'm able to look past his involvement in this film and still love it. They took care of that problem for you. Man. I know, right? Gone. Yeah. I think Terrence Howard took care of that problem himself. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What I said about Iron Man before, I, it's nothing discounting Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. at all because he fucking owns that role. Right. It's just, I, I don't know. And I, that's, that's why I want to give it another shot because yeah. I know I'm one of the few that doesn't like Iron Man, and you guys are obviously very high on it. and I'd Nick, like Nick, is, Nick, Nick isn't the biggest fan I'm of the, the Iron Man films. Fan. Uh, out of the two that are just mentioned here, Iron Man three almost made my list, but okay. it didn't. But mm. um, but as a, I can understand where you're coming from, Kenny, because I think it's a very it's a very particular superhero in the sense that he doesn't yeah. have a common arc and whatnot. Right. But um, but yeah, no. But I don't. I, I've seen far worse superhero films. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Let's move on to uh, the fifth round. I guess is uh, Kenny with his number five superhero movie. My number five is The Incredible Hulk, the 2008 one with Ed Norton. Yeah. Um, yeah. The good one. The, <laughs> the good one, yes. Um, so I, I, I really, really, really love The Incredible Hulk so much, in fact, that, that I would say it's almost my favorite character from the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. I, I love this movie individually. My problem with it, and the only reason it's number five, is I I get hung up on the fact that going into the Avengers, it just wasn't Edward Norton anymore. Yeah. And I could never get past that. Never. Ever, ever. I love Edward Norton. I'm not saying that's why I am am pissed about the Hulk or anything like that, but that's why I like this movie as much as I did, and the fact that they just kind of moved on to Mark Ruffalo and there was no... Yeah, they jump-shipped. Yeah, I mean, I get the story behind it and everything, but it's just as a movie, I can't move past that. But yeah. but anyway, what I do love about it, I, I love the the whole storyline of the fact that you know you're, you're a government gamma radiation. <laughs> you you basically yes, you you were an experiment, and and now you're running from the government. And, and like when you're a child, and your parents tell you you were just an accident. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> You're speaking from experience? On a, on a, on a larger scale. <laughs> that was pretty heartfelt. Oh, God. <laughs> but, no, I, I just... The, the, the whole... The movie in general is just... It's badass. I love the story before I saw the movie. I saw the movie. It executed very well. It's it's a, a guy that turns green and huge and smashes shit. Smashes shit. Like, what's yeah, to not like about it? That scene of him kicking Tim Roth and he goes flying into the tree is awesome. Right. <laughs> there, there are so many good things about this. And and even in the Avengers, I still love the Hulk. It's just yeah. it's just this weird hang-up that I've always had that I cannot move past. Um, that, yeah, there's there's nothing much more to say about it other, other than the fact that I will say this. Those of you who know me... I love roller coasters, and there is a roller coaster <laughs> themed after the Incredible Hulk. It's that right there is enough for me. It's actually a really fun roller coaster at a a Universal Studios Orlando, too. <laughs> so, so you 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 put that name on a roller coaster, you got me hooked. I I, I will say film one, tank field trip. No, oh, that would be fun. I think that would be a great idea. I don't know if you guys would love roller coasters as much as me and Kenny do. But I don't, but I'll no. I'll go on a field trip. Yeah, I'd do it. Oh, okay, to Florida too. It's tough. So, oh man, I think uh, the Incredible Hulk is it's not not that's weird, but it's kind of a little bit unusual because it is the one character that has not gotten more standalone movies. Right. And, yeah. and I honestly, I feel like if they remade the Hulk again, 
with even Mark Ruffalo. Like, I'd be fine well, with it. I don't Ruffalo care. just this weekend. Yeah, that came to light. Yeah. It finally was revealed as to really? why that's not happening oh, as of right now, <laughs> which is, is it 20th Century Fox or is it whoever? I think it's, I think it's Universal. Universal, okay. Yeah. yeah, whoever still owns those rights still owns the standalone rights of like to do a standalone Hulk film so okay. Marvel would have to buy that out and I don't know if they're willing to spend that money right now so it's not that they don't obviously like Mark Ruffalo but well, after they decided to move away from Edward Norton they would have they'd have to spend extra money to do just a standalone as okay. I said it's it's still my number five I still yeah. love the movie I love the character it's just a, it would be much higher for me had it not been for that little switcheroo with the with the, <laughs> the actor and yeah. I just can't get past it. One more thing really quick that I wanted to mention that I've always found was not odd, but it was right when kind of in this was two thousand eight too and mm-hmm. Tucson you were mentioning this is really when Marvel was starting their universe and didn't really know exactly what they had yet. And uh they set up uh Samuel Stern's character to become the leader at the end of the Incredible Hulk and we never hear from him again, which I always thought was a <laughs> yeah. little, little odd. The leader of what? Like, that's just uh, oh. that's just his character's name in the Marvel. He's oh, the whole oh. nemesis. Okay, I guess. Yes, yeah. and uh, we just never hear from that again, which is a little weird. And maybe it's one of those things because you never know with these movies that he'll pop up at some point. Not that yeah. he's going to, but it's like with the Red Skull from the first Captain America, he could just show up at some point. And be like, oh, okay. All right, moving on. Uh, Nick, you're number five. Let's hear it. Well, oh, here we go. This could be a good one, I think. <laughs> My number five is uh, super. Directed by James Gunn I knew from it. the year 2010. Oh well, good for you, Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was uh, it's, it's kind of a low budget independent film, and it basically, for those who who've never heard of it or who haven't seen it, it, it almost tackles the question, much like Kick Ass, like what would a superhero look like in real life, you know, okay. with no powers, or whatever. And the reason why this is the like I prefer this film to something like Kick Ass is because it basically says, well, it would look like a mix of mental illness, uh, <laughs> of uh, a superiority complex, of just kind of like all this like d- doesn't glorify the idea of what a superhero is. Um, it stars Rain Wilson as the title superhero. And his whole and no, but like it's like you're laughing because that's actually no. what you're supposed to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I wanted to see this and I did, and I'm yeah. glad you're talking about it. It's great. Mm-hmm. And the casting of Rain Wilson is great because it's kind of also kind of like if there was going to be like a superhero in real life, he wouldn't look like uh, Robert Tooney Downey Jr. He wouldn't look like Mark. You know, like he would kind of be like a, dude. a pathetic schlub right. type thing. And shut up, crime. <laughs> yes, yes, that's his catchphrase. Is he keeps telling crime to shut up. Um, but there are just so many little moments like in this film that I love, as far as like just kind of exposing the just ridiculousness of what it means to be a superhero. For example, like. There's a scene in which he's literally waiting for crime to happen. Like, he's just sitting by a dumpster on a street corner, just sitting there. And it's like a good montage of, like, just he's not doing anything. No crime is actually happening. So it's just kind of like how pathetic lengths he'll go just to, like, be, be considered a superhero. But then it's also, the film also mixes in this really dark but hilarious, completely unpolitically correct tone where, like, <laughs> Um, he gets a sidekick in the form of Ellen Page. Uh, oh, okay. her, yeah, she's in there, and she wants to be his sidekick, and she's even more unhinged than he is. So the two of them together as this like kind of Batman and Robin 
but like really it's like Travis Bickle meets like uh, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho <laughs> duo. It, it's just a it's it's hilarious. Uh, Kevin Bacon d- does a wonderful really? yes yes he plays a wonderful villain here because he's nice. this hilarious nonchalant like he's not like the most evil person in the world. He just obviously he's just a villain because. If there's going to be a hero, there has to be a villain. And, yeah. And um, it's just like his mannerisms are just great. It's just a really fun uh, kind of – it's it's hilarious. Uh, it's independent, so there's, you know, the special effects or whatever. But they make up for that because it's just – its earnestness is just so infectious that I saw it for the first time this week because I wanted to watch it before I made this list because I've always wanted to see it. And it instantly did make my list at number five because of just – how good it's doing at what it's doing. It doesn't try to go big, but uh, what it's doing is just, I found really, really entertaining. So that's my number five is super. Awesome. I will say too, um, I don't know if anyone's going to bring up uh, X-Men first class on this list, uh, but Kevin Bacon has done such a great job playing a villain role. He was great as the villain in X-Men first class. He was. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I will say somebody might bring it up. Okay, very good. All right. Uh, Alex? Uh, I I think it is my turn. Yes. Uh, uh, my number five is uh, the event, the original Avengers from 2012. Nice. Uh, when I saw it in the theater, I saw it in IMAX, and I I liked some of the Marvel movies. I liked the first Iron Man. I liked the first Captain America. I liked the Incredible Hulk. Um, I wasn't crazy about the first Thor or about um, the second Thor. I actually liked the second Thor more than the first <laughs> one, but in uh, in the second Iron Man were my favorites either. And I just feel like when I saw the Avengers. I thought it would, could possibly be a huge pile of mess. It had it, every every indication of it, it shouldn't have worked as well as it did. Yeah, and it, I feel like Joss Whedon was a big part of that. And mm-hmm. also, I feel like Marvel just did a good job being like, well, we can't fuck this one up, guys. So let's, yeah. let's put all eggs in this basket and we'll do it. And there are so many interesting decisions that I wouldn't have thought of for that movie, like using Loki as the main villain for the most part, mm-hmm. even though they set up Thanos in that movie and that's his first real appearance. Um, I just thought that was awesome seeing Loki there and using him and kind of using the whole scepter, even though you have to kind of go with the film's logic at certain points, like him changing Hawkeye and changing Eric Selvig over to be almost villains throughout the movie is a great thing watching on the screen because you're seeing these characters who you've been told are good Mm -hmm. heroes and they are now playing the villains. And that was, that was just something awesome. And, I, just, I don't know. Just everything about that final scene, even though I feel like I've seen that scene before in one of the Transformers movies, um, I, I eat, a, eat that last scene up, especially that one 30-second clip when they kind of go from each superhero to other, each superhero, not not the one where they're going in the circle, but when they're like flying and Iron Man stops and helps Captain America mm-hmm. for, a few, for a few seconds and he flies up and helps... Uh, um, I forgetting uh, Scarlett Johansson's Black, Widow. Black, Black Widow, Widow, yeah, and Hawkeye's up on there, and that that just I love it, and also too when the Hulk uh, grabs Loki and just starts smashing him all <laughs> yeah. over um, Tony Stark's uh, penthouse suite. That was just so many good things. I could talk about the movie for an hour just by, sitting here by myself. Well, I'm let's a go. big fan. What oh, else really? you got? <laughs> that, yeah, that pro- probably is not a good idea since we have whatever, like 18 more movies to go or some 17 or something like that. But I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm really looking forward to the second Avengers, even though I have been um, thinking that it's not going to be that good. But I, It's I, a good thing because that means it could surprise you. It could. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I have hopes that it will be, but I also have my doubts after the, uh, the Winter Soldier. So we'll see. Ooh. 
Yeah. Oh, ooh. All right. Um, it, it, your winter, winter Soldier is in your number five. Is it? That actually, would be... no, it's not. Okay, good. Actually, I was going to say that would be that awkward would be transition. Awkward. I actually preferred the Winter Soldier to the original Captain America, but you know, that's a cool. that's a discussion for another day, probably. Yes, it is. All right, let's move on to your number five, Tucson. Okay, so um, I kind of like looked side side to side when you actually mentioned my number five, which is X Men First Class. Okay. Um, oh. <laughs> when I went to go see this film, I was invited by two of my best friends to just go to a, a late night showing for it. And I just decided to go on a whim because my expectations before I, I didn't pay attention to any of the, the promotional material for this film because mm-hmm. my expectations for the X-Men franchise were so low. They could <laughs> be found next to dinosaur bones and going, going into this film. Oh. Like, yeah, it was, it was that bad. Yeah. X-Men origins. That's what happened. Um, Going into this film, I was so pleasantly surprised. I was so engrossed in this film that I forgot my knowledge of the source material. I just liked seeing the actual characters play out their their individual roles. Michael Fassbender, watching him as a young and angry Magneto just like globetrotting across the world and like taking his vengeance out on Nazi conspirators who tortured and killed his family. That was like watching a superpower James Bond go on a rampage. And I love that. Like when the, the one scene where he's in Germany, he's in the bar and he throws a knife into a guy's, um, into a guy's hand against the wall. And then he, 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 he pulls it out again and like stabs another guy and then puts it back in. I'm just like, dude, that is so badass. What I think really like sells this film for me is like going back to like forgetting the source material and like creating this new origin for not only the pre-existing canon of of X-Men but also just for the entire cinematic universe. I the, the the strength of this film is marked by the fact that I had forgotten that Xavier Charles Xavier was handicapped in the later later films and so when he eventually does like lose the ability of his legs like it finally caught up to me and i was just like oh my god that is so awesome i completely agree with that the first time i watched this it's one of those things that it should be so obvious but when the film ends with him right. getting crippled i like, can't feel i was my both legs, blindsided like, and right. yet completely appreciative of how they worked that into the origin story yeah that's the uh that's the total strength of this film i love this film a lot i mean with, with the exception of what's her name from mad men uh, oh, January Jones. Yeah, January Jones. She was. Not a uh, fan. Yeah, she was uh, a total. I thought, yeah. I thought she was uh, supposed to be that kind of ice queen type. Yeah, ice queen, but she wasn't supposed to be like monotone and stoic. Just like I could ask a wall to talk better than her. Anyway. Yeah, um, I, I actually was weird because I had given up completely on the X Men series, and I didn't even pay attention to that movie. And right. I, I actually didn't see that until after I saw Days of Future Past last year. Wow. And, yep. And I love both those. I movies. made the same mistake where I skipped it because I just like Toussaint was over the franchise. Mm-hmm. But after you dragged me to Days of Future Past, Alex, because I was not wanting to see <laughs> right. the film, I both, literally dragged him. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I both liked that film, and I went back and watched First Class and enjoyed them both a whole heck of a lot. So are those just as strong or better than the first couple? Because I loved the first couple, and then I kind of lost interest in it. I would say they're better. Really? Mm-hmm. I would yeah. say it's like they're just a great progression of the story that's already been obviously being told. I'm with you. I like the first two right. uh, X-Men films, yeah. but these are just kind of on a whole other level. I feel like we have there's a firmer grasp on... Uh, this story than there's ever been. Right. So. They're my favorite two of the entire series. So oh, cool. I'm a fan. Moving on to round number four, let's uh, hear from Kenny as he has his number four superhero film. Yes, sir, I do. My number four is, unfortunately, Nick beat me to the to the punch here with the 
superhero spoof movies, but oh uh, Kick-Ass is my number four. Um, and for a lot I thought of the you were going to say super. No, no, no. Not <laughs> super. You just said you didn't see it. <laughs> no. no, but what I like about Kick-Ass, a lot of the same reasons. It's kind of what your superhero in real life would be. You've got... What I, I always think is it's like it's like a nerdier version of Harry Potter, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. When when, when uh, I, I don't I can't remember what his real name is. Aaron Taylor Johnson. I, I know him from nothing else. But he's going to be in the new. Uh, Nobody else does Avengers either. film. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Okay. He was also in uh, Godzilla last year. Oh, didn't see that either. That's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, this movie when I think Kick Ass, what instantly comes to mind is the vulgarity. The vulgarity in this movie was a delight, to say the least. The first time I saw this, it, it blindsided me, especially coming from like a nine-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz's performance in this movie God, ca- caught a lot of people off guard. She steals the off movie. He, did you did you know that Roger Ebert gave it a famous zero star yeah. review because he was so unhappy with uh, <laughs> what they well, quote unquote made uh, Chloe Grace Moretz I, do? I forgot and was reminded of how. Off-putting, I, I guess yeah. you can say the the scene when when Nicolas Cage, who plays her father, is training her and yeah. shoots her point blank in the chest when when they're like practicing whatever the hell they're practicing. Let's go but, for ice cream. Right. Come on, Mindy, honey, be a big girl now. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is it gonna hurt bad? Oh, child, only for a second, sugar. The force is gonna take you off your feet for sure, but it's really no more painful than a punch in the chest. Why are you getting punched in the chest? You're gonna be fine, baby doll. How was that? Kind of fun, huh? Now you know how it feels. You won't be scared when some junky asshole pulls a Glock. I wouldn't have been scared anyways. And by the way, Nicolas Cage, the worst mustache, maybe ever. The mm-hmm. the most child molesterish of mustaches <laughs> you will ever see. Oh, A lot of people were actually really liked him in that, and I did oh, as well. I, thought I he was absolutely good. loved him. Perfect match. I but thought. that mustache, though. Whew. Have you guys ever seen the movie Youth and Revolt? I am not. With Michael Sarah. Oh, I know what that you're That is the only about, time yes. I've ever seen a worse mustache. That weird, like, pencil The pencil-drawn little yep. Mexican-Italian mustache. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, <laughs> so, yes, totally Top full of vulgarity. Uh, again, don't know his real name, but... Um, uh, Christopher <laughs> Mintz Plotz. Yes, okay. McLovin. McLovin, yes. that's all I will ever I'm know. I'm just, like, reading there. your mind today. Right. McLovin plays a character, uh, Red Mist, and it is just... This 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 movie is just so absurd and and obnoxious and but you know what it's smart at the same time. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Mark Strong. Who plays I, the, I love Mark Strong. You don't you just have to see his name dude, and I'll be there. The dude. Have you seen this movie? Yeah, Kickass. I've seen both yeah. of them. Oh, I haven't seen the second one. It's not as good. not as good. No, <laughs> no. Jim Carrey's in it, right? He didn't. He that was a whole weird <laughs> don't ask situation. him about it. Yeah, because yeah. he, he as soon as he was done with it, he didn't want to be involved with it anymore. Yeah. So. Mm. If, I just got to say now, if you like that, then you should definitely go see Super. Um, it's on Netflix yeah. Instant for anybody who's listening. Really? But yeah, no. I think it's it's very similar, and I feel like if you like one, you got to like the it's other. It's one of those movies, it just slipped through the cracks. I wanted to see yeah. it, and I didn't, and now that you've recommended I will. So yeah, kick ass. Check it out. It's a it's a very interesting, and it, I always remember the uh, Chloe Grace Moretz uh, See You Next Tuesday line from that movie. I was Everyone was like, wow. Yeah. Okay, I guess we're going there. Oh, yeah. I, 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 that reminds oh me of a line. see you next, next Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Like it spells out a word. Yeah, yeah I get I, it. I, I, I mean, not technically grammatically, because that was 
S. I'm rolling my. I'm giving the fucking Rodney Dangerfield from Caddyshack eye roll at Nick right now. So. <laughs> I I also love. There's a line she says when uh, when Kickass is asking uh, her and Nick Cage like you know how can I contact you if I need you and she's like well get a hold of the police station they have a sim a symbol and it's. <laughs> They'll shine it up in the sky. It's a large cock. <laughs> like that, that was one of the first times in the movie. Like she had been reserved up until that point to some extent, and then yeah, she she drops the whole large cock line. Yeah, it's like whoa. She's just making fun of him. He's like right. It's, it's a total stab at, 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 at like uh, the whole movie is just <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <laughs> it, it just totally pokes fun at superhero movies and it's over the top and awesome. So yeah. check it out. Good stuff. All right, Nick, you're uh, number four. Well. I'm sorry to do this, but oh. I'm going to have to uh, jump up on uh, Toussaint's back here because we're going to go back to what he was talking about because my number four is X-Men First Class. Okay. Oh. And uh, also back to what you were saying about <laughs> Kevin Bacon being the villain. So I guess uh, X-Men First Class is really just getting a lot of mention in this uh, Yeah, we, which it's a, it's a good superhero movie, so it's, it's the first that. repeat, though. Yeah. I, um, I don't want to reiterate anything Tucson has said, so I'll give a little more personal context when I was growing up and just kind of like what draws me to the X-Men films in general and I think what this film does the best out of all of them mm-hmm. is that like there, it, it almost states that like to, you know, because if you look at the franchise itself, they're not called superheroes; they're called mm-hmm. mutants. Mm-hmm. So I love that they kind of turn having powers on its face, and they make it uh, something out of like social alienation. They're the other, yeah, and they get ostracized and whatnot. So kind of like as for like somebody like me when I was a child growing up with like a syndrome and whatnot, and having things that made me different from other people. Naturally, I gravitated towards superheroes that were unfairly maligned, right. and Whatnot. So that's why the superhero movie, like. Um, the X-Men movies, I should say, uh, have always kind of spoke to me in a certain way. And it's not until I saw X-Men First Class that that spark that I felt 10 years ago when I first watched the X-Men and X2 kind of was reignited. Because to see this kind of prequel origins, besides the fact that, like you said, Michael Fassbender and, in my opinion, also Jennifer Lawrence mm-hmm. are doing fantastic performances, um, and Charles uh, McAvoy as well. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that it's just a well-acted film. It's, I think it's James McAvoy, by the oh, way. Yeah, not Charles McAvoy. playing mixing, Charles yeah, Xavier. Mi- Charles. Oh. James McAvoy, thank you. Um, and besides the fact that Matthew Vaughn, who I'm normally not a fan of, I think in this movie is doing some great direction and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I just think this is one of the purest distillations of like the central themes of what it means. Like It's... It's not as hard to fight a villain as it is to work together, mm. and that's something that I didn't quite get from the Avengers in the same mm. way that I got from X Men First Class. And I could see that. So I just I love the, the the central conflicts and the infighting here, and just at the end of the day, it's um it it was it's a perfect uh, kind of example of how character driven superhero movies can be, and just in rewarding in that way, and so. Um, I don't know if I have more to say because Tucson eloquently talked about it earlier. Yeah, um, go- piggybacking off of your comment about the infighting in First Class, I think that it does do a lot better of a job than in Avengers because in Avengers they aren't technically assembled. Right. So until like at least two or three fifths into the film, and then they have like that dedicated scene. like this is where they fight now. Yeah. <laughs> but in in First Class, like that's spread throughout the entire film, and that doesn't even like totally culminate until like the very end and then even then they splinter off in their own way oh yeah because then it, it bleeds into the sequel but uh, days of future past where and one thing i, I also got to say is i love how both uh, uh what i want to say charles and eric's point of view as to like how they should handle their powers mm-hmm. 
Okay, there are obviously extreme differences, but I feel like th- these scripts, especially the latest two, mm-hmm. um, are so nuanced that like I wouldn't call either one like an outright hero or an outright villain because like Magneto, I don't think is ever set up the same way he was in the original Brian Singer films um, to be like you know the ultimate bad guy. He's actually just a person who's fueled, unfortunately, by like revenge and things that are just so easy to. He's almost like to. a reverse vigilante in that. Yes. Way. Yeah, because he's not so much out to hurt people. He is just out to hurt the people that hurt him. Because mm-hmm. he's not obviously. Because there's so many times in a lot of superhero films, you have the villain that just wants to like create chaos, like which can totally be fine, like the Joker and the Dark Knight, which I'm sure somebody will mention later, um, or other villains like that, which can totally be effective. But I guess I I really do like this kind of take where it's like you almost understand and I wouldn't say root for him but you're just kind of like yeah you know I can kind of see why somebody would be mad if you killed your parents and you know (laughs) you locked him in a concentration camp you know I mean these very heavy topics that can understandably make somebody into a a villain so to paraphrase from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes Magneto is the kind of guy who didn't learn and he didn't he learned nothing from other human beings but hate he he saw literally the ugliest example of human nature. He was dead center in it, the fucking Holocaust. Exactly. So and and more to the fact that he even he totally believes that mutants are the next stage of evolution, and that to persecute them or to try to kill them as he was, humans are willing to do this to themselves. Like if they're willing to do this to the next stage of human evolution, then maybe humans need to like take a step down on the podium. That's that's his entire perspective. I also love about X Men First Class, and they do have the one somewhat famous now uh, quick cameo from Wolverine. Just about to mention, but mm-hmm. they they don't they don't force him into the movie and make him a character, which I thought was great it too. Completely, in my opinion, like out marbled Marvel. Like as far as like. Because a lot of these Marvel uh, MCU films like have to have like, oh, we're going to see Spider-Man possibly in the Ultron movie. They show up you at know, the end. Little things like that. This was so great because, A, it wasn't really that heralded as far as before it came out. And even like this film had been out for a couple of years, and I still didn't know somehow that it was in it. But what it, that is like the most perfect use of a cameo I've ever seen <laughs> when uh, Eric and uh, Charles walk into the bar and Wolverine just says four words, which is, go fuck yourself. Yeah. And, and that's uh, it. He never uh, comes back again. Yeah, exactly. That's, perfect that's summation the of his character. Why why, yes, and that's the only reason why he showed up to be in that movie. And I heard that Hugh Jackman only agreed to it if he could say the F word. So like, I just I love the whole philosophy that that actor brings to that character, even when he's only in one scene. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lynch. Charles Xavier, go fuck yourself. Uh, my number four is uh, the Tim Burton 1989 Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, if you want to think about modern superhero movies, I wouldn't say this was like the first because we had Superman and whatever, but this was a much darker direction for a superhero movie than mm-hmm. it, it took. And it was it was interesting because it is Tim Burton, and it's really early in his career, and he had obviously had constraints on him. We saw much more of a movie that he wanted to do in Batman Returns. But so many just great things about this, whether it be Jack Nicholson as the Joker, which is... And it's Jack Nicholson playing the fucking Joker. I mean, come on, it's, it's, it's fucking Jack. I can't believe, believe that even happened. Obviously, he ended up making, and in 1989, making like $60 million from this movie. So uh, that worked out for him. <laughs> um, Only had to do one film? Yeah, well, he, he got, got in on the early points thing, and he ended up making like, I don't know, it was like 
fifteen percent or something of the. Because yeah, he was like one of the producers or something. Like even if it, I don't know if it was like a silent or something, but he was one of the people that actually got this movie made. I thought. Well, he was he was involved in getting it made, but it was, really the reason it got pushed for was because he agreed to play right, the Joker, right, right. but he only did that to take a certain percentage, which yeah. was kind of not necessarily commonplace in those days. Um, and Michael Keaton, which was such a out of the box choice to play Batman, and, and for me, he just does just a great job. When he's playing the actual Batman character, I don't feel like it's Michael Keaton playing that, even though I know it's him playing I'm Batman. Yeah, but it's not like I feel like it's it's a good mix between. It's not like the campy version of Adam West Batman. It, it's not that at all. But yeah. it's also not the Christopher Nolan Christian Bale Batman, where it's going out of its way for everything to have such a complex, convoluted, dark thing. Like he's. He's obviously a character who has a dark past, but at the same time, he's just playing a superhero that gets things done. Even though it is a pretty dark, grim movie, mm-hmm. it's just uh, there's so many things about it that I just love. I think he's, for me at least, he's my favorite Bruce Wayne portrayal. Because mm-hmm. obviously there's kind of a divide between who, like when you're playing Batman and when you're playing Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But I, at the end of the day, when he takes off the mask, he's my favorite person in that role. He does such a great job playing both characters for me like we've seen other people do a good job as bruce wayne or as batman um some people don't necessarily like both portrayals i actually think he does a great job in it and again as i mentioned we talked about this with uh his his character in birdman where he's kind of playing that that, every time you bring (laughs) this up and you hate it every time go on go on anyways that he kind of this whole career is just this kind of guy who it wasn't the best actor, and what he never was. Fucking and, true story. Well, <laughs> art imitates life. I, yeah, I guess that is that is very much true yeah. here. But in in this role, I think he does such a perfect job bringing it together. And the Joker uh, is just so great with Jack Nicholson playing it, and he is eating up clearly this entire movie playing him. So many great quotable lines, uh, especially the never rub another man's rhubarb. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just so such good. And all, there are also other little characters who show up, like Jack Palance playing Carl Grissom. That's right. Uh, it's just so much fun for me. And I watched this movie for the first time when I was like four years old. So I grew up literally watching this movie almost every day during the summer sometimes. And I'm just, just always a huge nostalgic fan of it. You want to get nuts? Come on! Let's get nuts. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> Never rub another man's rhubarb. I think this is like the first one, like the first superhero film that really broke into like the pop culture lexicon as far as like when this came out, there was an actual advertising campaign before yes. it came out, mm-hmm. which is kind of the first time it had ever really happened. I mean, you saw Batman. I, I was not alive, so I'm not going to pretend to talk <laughs> about something that I was not literally witnessing. But as far as what I've read and seen, this was like... The first time, like Happy Meals were catering toward like a you know a future film production, and we used you were seeing billboard of just the Bat logo, yeah, uh, all over town. Like it was the first time where like people were actually banking on a superhero film and seeing if it would pay off, and it obviously did. Well, great it, logo too. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that T-shirt that got made with it. When there's there's a ton of those that were around when I was a kid. I mean, I had one when I was a little kid. I mean, my, it was well way too big for me, but I had one. So right. <laughs> I feel like I love this movie so much, and it's not really for kids, but also. 
other there are some parts of it that are a little awkward, like the pen is the mightier than the sword scene where he stabs somebody in the neck. Mm-hmm. That's probably not good for kids, but yeah. Um, I feel like I love this movie so much when I was a little kid, and I still love it now, that I, I got my parents to take me to see Batman Returns in the theater when I was five years old. Yeah. It was like, I, I, but I actually legitimately liked this movie so much that I wanted to go see the next one in the theater. And I just, I, 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 another one of those movies, just like The Avengers, I'm probably the biggest superhero fan on this, in this little team here, but I... Um, <laughs> We're a team of superheroes. <laughs> Film superheroes. Oh, Okay. You, you've you've had a rough time today with your little add-ins. Oh. <laughs> well, then I guess I should just shut the fuck up. <laughs> I was trying to insinuate that without saying it. Oh, but. My number four is Hellboy from 2004. Oh shit! All right, I wouldn't have thought of that one, but that's a, that's a uh, interesting uh, choice. Yeah, I'm. Uh, he's not technically a superhero, but I'm going to rope no. that in because he is a superhuman like being yeah. like i'm just giddy over the idea like the premise of a clandestine paranormal team that's led by a a demon adopted and raised by a kindly professor of the occult like fighting a cold war with neo-nazis over the span of like decades <laughs> that just Jesus is the christ that is yeah. just not that is the coolest shit <laughs> Sound, ever sounds awesome i'm yeah. so ready to join that team <laughs> anyway <laughs> you've never seen it kenny I no no Let's I go have not. Beat up Nazis. I, I think I saw parts of it. It's funny because he I, makes me want to watch it though. <laughs> I've heard I've heard the second one's really good too, and I've I've only seen the first one. It's, it's cool. It, it's a lot more more broader than the the original. But back okay. to the original is like it's just a film that is perfectly cast with leading man of of Ron Perlman. Yeah, it has a really intriguing premise, gorgeous set and costume design, and overall not only just a fun film to watch, but an awesome adaptation of the original um, source material of Mike Mignola. It's like it's it's uh I love it. So was it, was it a comic book or a graphic oh, yeah. novel? Yeah. yeah, it was it was a comic book by Mike McNoll who kind of combined German expressionism with Jack Kirby. I feel like this not necessarily more than others, but I feel like this does such a great job of encompassing what characters you would feel like they look like comic book characters. Like yeah. Hellboy looks like a, a comic book caricature more than a actual you know, real living person, even though he does, and he, he, but he doesn't though. Like they yeah. actually look like real characters. Even the, uh, like the how they appear in the actual drawing, the illustration, yeah. not just trying to like stretch it to be like, oh, well, we want it to be believable. Or even Abe, the uh, the other character, Abe Sapien, yeah. yeah, he also looks like a cur- like a like like a drawing almost. Mm-hmm. And it's I always thought that was really cool about my that favorite movie. part was the uh, the the one villain who was like the clockwork like Nazi sword assassin guy. Like I liked him a lot. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. We watched me and Alex watched it for the first time like about a year ago or something. Yeah, I actually borrowed number two uh, from my friend at a Christmas party, so I should probably watch that and get it back to them. <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. Hopefully they're not listening to this. Right yeah. Now. Well, yeah, I hope they are, but oh, that's, it, that's true. If if they are, I'll get it back to you by next Christmas. So that's good. <laughs> All right, we're halfway through, so uh, let's do number three, starting with Kenny. Um, number three for me is The Dark Knight. Awesome. Um, I've heard I of it. That, <laughs> Probably, I, I'm going to guess I'm not the last one that's going to bring it up, but uh, I love what this movie looks like, uh, just the way it was shot. I love the, the the gorgeous overhead aerial shots that they show just many, many times throughout the movie, plus a lot of it being shot in Chicago. I, any any movie that I recognize where they're at, it's a big winner in my book. It's going to move up a couple of points, but um, this movie, every time I watch this movie, I just can't get over... Heath Ledger and how into this fucking role he was like he committed to that shit and correct me if I'm wrong but didn't he like during filming wasn't he like 
going on two, three days without sleeping. That's, to- that's the whole mythos behind his roles. Like he was directed by Christopher Nolan to read um, some of the most iconic Joker comic books that were, that were for that. Like The Killing Joke was was the main text that he was looking at. He was also looking at A Clockwork Orange, okay. um, the, 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 the one novel Clockwork Orange. And apparently he was inspired for the voice of the Joker by uh, Tom Waits, which if you actually listen to Tom Waits right. talk, like he's like it's almost indiscernible. It's like, oh my yeah. god, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, he was he was just such a badass in this movie and, and I don't know. He like he filled that I don't know anybody else. I could never come up with somebody who would have played that better. It's it's amazing because the one person and this is just to go to Heath Ledger's point, when he had passed away and everyone had seen the Dark Knight, literally everyone saw it. I mean that was right. That was the, that and Titanic are the only movies in my lifetime that I remember that actually became a thing that everybody I knew, even if they didn't like that kind of movie, went to go see it at some yeah, point. Yeah, right. Um, well, were, of the Christopher Nolan Batmans, that's the only one I've seen. Like, oh, like okay. I said it's earlier, that's yeah. like not being a big comic guy. That's the only but, one but I've th- seen. Th- that's exactly what I'm saying, though. You went to? Did you see in the theater or not? No, not in the theater. Oh, okay, no. very good. But. But I saw it right away after, you know, when it came out, yeah. it was still a thing. And- there was talk of the only person that um, most people who were writing about it thought could actually replace and live up to what Heath Ledger had done mm-hmm. was Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, that that is like the ultimate, oh my God, like that's right. probably one of the best actors of all time. Yeah, that's a compliment. That's a, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying, though, He that Heath Ledger's portrayal was so good and so thought of like he knew everything about that character even right. even the little things like him still holding the gun uh the barrel of the gun when he's giving uh two-faced the choice of killing him or whatever like he wasn't going to but he had like thought that far yeah and it was yeah it was he's did a terrific job in that film well something else that that i like the first time i watched this movie what i realized um is badass as joker is dude once two-face comes around like yeah. you almost forget how bad Joker was! Like Two Face makes you start pulling for the Joker. Like it's it, it's it's kind of like he 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 makes the Joker not look like such a bad guy. That's something I just always liked about Two Face. But um, other than that, I like the the fucking Batmobile in this movie. Is Aaron fun. Eckhart had the best portrayal of of Two Face of anyone so yeah. far. Yeah, right. you didn't like Tommy Lee Jones? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's another thing that's crazy about that movie is. Aaron Eckhart plays, and ultimately, even though he's a major part of the film, he plays a side character, and he has an entire arc throughout the that movie, which is right. pretty amazing that he is not a major player in that movie up until really later in the movie, even though he's right. in a lot of scenes. It's pretty much I mean. like Bruce once Wayne he, in the Joker. Once he becomes Two-Face, he's so prominent, though. They, he, it's almost like Joker takes a back seat to him because he's such a bad villain in that yeah. movie so but other than that the the batmobile that that's all that's the other thing the I, I always yeah like that's what i always come the, back the, to the, the tumbler or when it becomes the bike whatever the hell that thing is the like yeah 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 the tumbler and then it becomes the bike it's just everything about it's just fucking badass all right very good all right nick uh, let's hear your number three well <laughs> just gotta consult my notes here <laughs> um my number three is probably the one on my list that's most furthest from the actual genre, but it's still a superhero film. Okay. Uh, it is called Chronicle from oh, the year 2012. I know Tuzan is a big fan because yes, we have many conversations about it. Yep. Uh, what sets this one apart is that 
it's it's not necessarily about superheroes, but it's about uh, three kids who, you know, very true to the superhero genre, stumble upon accidentally getting powers, basically, hmm. where they can, uh, it's like telekinesis, because they can... Um, uh, they can move objects, including their own selves, which means they can fly and whatnot. But it's a found footage drama film and, uh, and how they're dealing with this and whatnot. And I, I think this is great because it almost presupposes the questions that, like, much like uh, like the X-Men film does, like, getting powers is not an inherently good thing. It doesn't – if you get powers, it doesn't – It doesn't like, make you good or bad. Yeah, the automatic response is not, well, I got to go save the day. It mm-hmm. might be like, oh, well, how can I use this to my advantage? And, and that's kind of what Chronicle uh, explores, but it also does it in a very humanistic and nuanced way because it's also a coming-of-age story because it centers around three boys uh, in high school. Michael B. Jordan is – one of the the three guys, not the main guy. Okay. Um, I forget the Dane Dehan is the. Uh, what you? I don't know why you're looking at me. I have no idea who that is. Oh, I thought you were making a face like you didn't uh, you didn't like him or something. Oh, like I've that. never heard of that person. I feel like you've seen him because he's got one of those faces. Um, but he plays the main character. <laughs> one of those things. You well, know, you know, he's face. got like it's he's a, a very very uh, inter- guy. interesting he's looking person. The guy with oh. the hair. Yeah, and he's um he plays the main character, and he he's. It's kind of one of those very stereotypical childhoods where he's bullied a lot. He doesn't have a lot of friends. I know who you're talking about. He's the yeah. Uh, you've seen the film. Yeah. No. No. But I know what actor you're talking about because he was also Green Goblin in the recent uh, Amazing Spider-Man films. Yes. He yeah. was. Yes. Oh, him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like he's got one of those faces. Well, isn't that the question of the day? <laughs> and so, um, so it's, and it's about yes, it's about Dane DeHaan's character where he's uh, constantly bullied. He um, he lives with an abusive stepfather who's uh, an alcoholic who always beats him and like he's got this very tragic backstory but that also never justifies any of his actions because mm. I also don't want to spoil it for anybody who hadn't seen this but he essentially gets these superpowers on accident because they stumble upon a meteor crashing to earth of course you know? yeah and um, but what th- what's great is just how this story unfolds because three characters in the film get these powers and you kind of even though the story is about him you kind of see three different trajectories of what could happen if you get powers you could either go down this road you could go down this road or you can go down another road and and how those conflict with each other and what it, what is great is by the time the film reaches its climax it's both something that's not uh would it wouldn't be apparent by the film's opening because you would just not expect that certain people would be in the position that they're in and so on and so forth. But it so wonderfully sets it up that when you get to that point, it makes complete logical and natural sense. And um, it's just a blast of a movie. It's, it's, it is a found footage movie. And I know a lot of people don't really like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the best found footage movie I've ever seen because there's a few times when it breaks its own rules, but for the most part, it actually makes sense as to why they're filming this and how they're getting this footage. And not only that, but also it, there's some pretty clever stuff, what they do with that genre. But um, as a superhero film, it I think what makes me like this and what it's, the reason why it's number three is because it's so it's, it's almost like it's trying so hard not to be a superhero film that mm-hmm. that ends up why it's one of the best ones because it doesn't try to make sure it like tackles this trope or this thing that we come to expect. But it's still fundamentally a superhero film, and uh, these characters are just so wonderfully acted and uh, nuanced that, uh, yes, it's great, and I recommend it. It's so micro-budget, but uh, still the special effects are actually pretty great. So if anybody hasn't seen this, I totally recommend uh, Chronicle. Okay. Sweet. I had never heard before, and I am intrigued to see it now. Very so. good. 
Very good. Uh, moving on to my number three, uh, we've heard from the about this movie before. It is that the original Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Man is my second favorite superhero of all time. I am a huge fan, and like Tucson, I really didn't care about Iron Man before the first movie came out. I I knew whose character was, but right. I didn't really character anything about it. I feel like Robert Downey Jr. through the three films, even though the second one wasn't that great, and the event first Avengers movie has made me such a huge fan of that character. Uh, it's just been awesome. And uh, the, uh, the other characters in the movie are also would make it so great for me because although I do love Robert Downey Jr. and I do love Iron Man, and that's the reason why I really do like this movie, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in that movie as Pepper Potts, she wasn't like forced into being this major character like she was in the third Iron Man movie, which is great, but I also love how little she's involved in. I also love Paul Bettany as the voice of Jarvis yeah. and a lot of the other robots he has working with him and they don't understand anything because they're robots. And it's just kind of the way that that happens and him becoming Iron Man and showing that he's a genius like all the way and he's invented all these things, but at the same time, it's still going through that trial and error of becoming a superhero, which I feel like some of the other Marvel movies, they don't even hit on. Even, I know Thor is supposed to already be a superhero, but they don't, they don't hit on anything with that. They, they, you know, do and they don't, they do and they don't with Captain America. And also, uh, the guy who I always love from this movie, uh, and we talked about it on the, uh, the Big Lebowski episode is, uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Uh, playing the main villain, Obadiah Stane. Uh, he is just. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. And he has, without a doubt, the best line in any of the Iron Man movies. Which is. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! With a box of scraps! I just love it every time. And the the storyline and the origin of Iron Man is really what I love. Because, in in all honesty, even though I really do like this movie, the ending, the last, like, 20 minutes is kind of generic. The way it happens in terms of, like, their fight. It's just like any other superhero movie. But the origin, the first act into the second act of this movie, where he's escaping from where he's being held captive. He's using this thing that he built out of the parts that they had that he could make. And then him actually making the first real Iron Man suit back in his his lab or whatever. Um, and then, then also the whole involvement with the, the character and him being an alcoholic yeah. before that. Him being, you know, in the shadow of his father almost and pushing out from that. Uh, this movie has so many more layers than there are on the surface. And, it, and I feel like that is something about this movie that we already did hit on a little bit. Is that Marvel really didn't know what they had when this movie came out. And now they have so many different heroes, and, and, now, and now even more are coming. Yeah. That I feel like Marvel put all of their eggs into this basket. And even though the Hulk came out in the same year, I feel like if the Iron Man was a failure, they were going to be on a different, much different path than they were today, where you know we're twelve movies in or whatever, and there are many. more They might coming. be DC now. They, they could have been DC anyway. Yeah, they could have put out that horrible trailer of Iron Man versus the Hulk earlier this week. Ugh. I just want to randomly mention, uh, going back to what we were talking about when we were talking about like how Robert Downey Jr. is like the perfect casting because it's like art imitating life. You just mentioned one of the themes of the first Iron Man as far as like Tony Stark living in the shadows of his father, yeah. which I just realized is also another real life parallel. Yeah. Not so much that Robert was living in the shadows of his father, but Robert Downey Sr. was a very prominent uh 
art house filmmaker mm-hmm. and like everybody in the business knew who Robert Downey Sr. was. So I just kind of realized as far as like it, it, was, it just made it that much more of an impossible thing for him to break through. Obviously, Junior has completely uh, surpassed his father now at this point when it comes to like the public side. But that is actually another real-life parallel that I never even thought about. Yeah, and, and we, we talk about how far he's come after Iron Man, and it was only seven years ago. Right. I mean, Marvel basically backed up the fucking Brinks truck, and multiple of them. <laughs> and, and he is not the main character. I mean, I, I guess he, he's going to be a main part of it, but of the Civil War movie... He's legitimately getting paid seventy million dollars up front to be in that movie, yeah. so he's doing pretty well. The, uh, I would say so. One last thing that we haven't yet mentioned about Iron Man, and I don't don't want to just like lob so much praise on this one film, but I think that one thing that we haven't talked about is the ending of this film, and that I think that's the moment where Robert Downey Jr. truly inhabited. And are, you, are you talking about the I the Am press, Iron Man when he said press Iron, conference? Because that flies directly in the opposite direction of the source material. And when I first saw that, I was like, how the hell are they going to make another Iron Man film after this? And lo and behold, they totally did. What's funny about you just saying that just now is like how it flies in the opposite direction of the source material. As someone who's never read any comic, let alone right. uh, Iron Man, me watching, because I actually watched Iron Man when it first came out in theaters and whatnot, me watching Iron Man and when I saw that scene, I figured because of how genius that move was as far as on a narrative level and character level. Um, I figured that was actually exactly how Iron Man, like I thought that was the end of his origin story. So it's just kind of funny like how perfectly that yeah. fits in what they built improved up. on the source material. He, yeah. he also really fits in though because if you really think about it, other than maybe Bruce Banner, all of the original four Avengers, everybody knows who they are. Yeah. Everyone you know knows that, he, although Thor is a more of a mythological character, more of like a, a god, I would say, but people know who that is, so it's not like he's hiding from people, which is the usual um, Bruce Wayne hiding. Is that a Clark Kent? Clark Kent, yeah. yeah who, who, like, yeah, like you said, nobody knows and whatnot, so it's almost like it's in his benefit to, uh, or it's in his interest to basically say who he is, because no one's going to touch him anyway. Yeah. All right, Tucson, you're number three. I would say that, okay, just. Starting back again. My number three. <laughs> Wait, All right, hold, well, let, let's start over on that, and now you say my number three again. Okay. My number three is a film that I've mentioned to you guys before, and it's one of my absolute favorite films in general, not just as a superhero film, but just as a film in general. It is Batman Mask of the Phantasm. It's the only animated film on my entire list, and for very good reason, but because... Before Christopher Nolan revitalized the the Batman franchise, like imbuing it with the sense of gravitas and reality that was disappointingly like substituted by the Joel Schumacher like like schlockiness, the sh- the, the Schumacher yeah. schlockiness, the forty eight uh, ice puns that Arnold Schwarzenegger has. <laughs> yes. in, that uh, credit for- card. <laughs> yes, yes. Before that, there was Mask of the Phantasm. It was released in nineteen ninety three after the culmination of the first season of the Batman animated series. And it was released as a as a standalone feature film. Like they actually promoted it, and it didn't make a lot of money, but it went on to become a cult classic, and for good reason. I have a question what? about it. Yeah. Um, so is it tied into the actual the Batman the animated yes, series? Yes. This, okay. this is actually the wondering. origin story of that right. Batman, and I think that um, personally, Kevin Conroy as the voice of Batman, like he is the definitive Batman in my eyes, like one of the most definitive one, just below. Another Batman that I might mention later. Oh. Justice will be served, Joker. Service with a smile? 
Clean up your act, Joker. Oh, that's a joke, right? Batman finally told a joke! <laughs> Mask of the Phantasm was the first film to truly capture the pathos, the loneliness, and just the the nature of a of Batman and Bruce Wayne as a tragic figure. It's like Roger Ebert himself said that it was up until that point only eclipsed by the original like Tim Burton Batman in the fact that he was able to like Bruce Tim, the animator, was able to encapsulate everything that made Batman who he was, other than just being the cape and cowl. And going back to why I love this film so much, like this film has probably one of the most intense and one of the most breathtaking and just legitimately scary chase scenes I have ever seen in anything. And were it not for having seen this film before, going to see Dark Knight, the ending to Dark Knight where Batman is chased by the police, it would not have resonated with me as much as it did. Like I wholeheartedly recommend this movie if you've never seen it before. I'm a huge Batman fan, and I've never seen it. So if you have a copy or you can tell me where to find it, I'd yes, love to see it. You, absolutely. You have one or not? I do have a copy, yes. I will have to uh, force you to let me borrow that mm-hmm. sometime. That He'll sounds- give it back next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Good callback to earlier in the Boom. show. Boom! Finally, uh, finally started to bring your A game. I like it. Nick, your your puns and your references are just out of control. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, we're getting close to our number one, but first, let's stop at number two. And uh, oh, here. that's a good order. <laughs> you mean you don't want to do one first and then come back to two? I was trying to make it sound kind of cool, but apparently it <laughs> failed miserably. I thought it was cool, Alex. We were just oh, injecting some life into this. Oh, All right, very good. Um, All right, cool. Number two, let's do it. <laughs> so number two, I'll kick off number two. Um, I'm going with Captain America, the first Captain America. Right. Um, spoiler alert, the number one is not the Winter Soldier for me. So I, <laughs> I do enjoy this one more than the Winter Soldier, which I, I don't know. I get the feel that that's probably not the general consensus. But uh, A lot of people think the Winter Soldier is the best standalone yeah, film. And yeah, I, I just don't get that. I, I really don't. I, I, I agree with you. And I agree with both of you. <laughs> the, I don't the, agree, but that's okay. <laughs> that is okay. The, the, the first Avenger, that's the actual name. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. The first Avenger, it's just it, there's so much more substance to it, I feel. It's just so much more... There, I don't know. I, I'm able to stay engaged in it much more because it's it's much more imaginative in the, in the sense yeah. that it's all over the place as far as like ge- geographically. It's mm-hmm. they're they're in different lands. But I think one thing it's got going for it that you might be tapping into is that unlike the Winter Soldier, it doesn't have the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to like tie into. Like yeah. it is a very standalone thing. So I think. Whether you like one or you know two more, like the first film definitely is its own thing and telling its own narrative story without trying to like bend over backwards to serve the other movies. Right. Yeah. Um. I. I, I don't know. I, I like. I. I would have to say that Captain America to me, maybe maybe it's a, a relatable thing. Like when I see Captain America, that that's a character that you 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 would see as. You kind of wish that you would be. He's the all American boy. Well, right, and he's he always does the right thing, and, right. and you could always kind of picture yourself, hopefully, as being that person. But um, I, I don't know. I just to me, it's it's the whole traveling. It's always in a different part of the world, and it's just much more interesting. Right. Yeah. I I will. Kind of, I, I'm not going to disagree with what Nick was saying, but I feel oh. like there there are some parts of this movie that 
try to involve uh, other aspects of the Marvel universe, whether it be ha- say, yeah. whether it be Howard Stark and mm-hmm. the uh, right. But those the, are like Easter eggs compared to like where like Winter Soldier is kind of going along with like the whole like we need Nick Fury to have an arc, we need that kind of like. I will say it's a lot more subtle, but like yes. Captain America having to become a leader because right. he eventually becomes a leader of the Avengers right, right, right. is a very important thing that is played throughout this movie. Yeah. But I, I I will agree with what you're saying, but I'll also disagree a little bit because I feel like it does still tie into other Marvel properties. I love that it's like a period piece. I mean, yeah. it's the only Marvel film that kind of dared to like set itself in a completely and for the almost for the Back entire in the 40s. running time too because right. it doesn't like it doesn't cheat and like oh after 20 minutes let's send them to present day. The whole film, yeah, it's a period right. piece. Um, I also like the beginning when when he's literally shrunken down. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of reading a little bit into how they did that. And it was mm-hmm. like every scene was like four different takes, yep. and just yep. very interesting how they had to literally instead of just casting somebody who looked like him but mm-hmm. smaller, they just shrunk him. Yeah. So it, that's some good special effects. That that was badass. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, I love <laughs> him. He's such a fucking smartass. He, every time he opens his mouth, he's got something witty and hilarious to say. Yeah. And uh, another callback to earlier in the show. This this movie also has a roller coaster reference, so of course it's going to be up there high on my list. <laughs> I'm waiting for your number one to be like a superhero film that's set in an amusement park. <laughs> it's not. It's not even a movie. Like it's three just, ninjas it's high just, noon at- It's just a roller coaster. My number one. That's it. It's not. <laughs> Because um, uh, the Captain America, the first Avenger, isn't on my list. But there are two things about that movie that I absolutely love. Uh, one is Hugo Weaving playing the yes. Red Skull, and he's yeah. my favorite villain currently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even though he's sent away, he's not killed at the end of it. He's killed like every other comic book character is killed in that. There used to be this unofficial rule that the only people who stay dead are Uncle Ben, uh, Bucky... And and like Gwen Stacy and all of those have been proven to be false. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah but I, I I would love to see Hugo Weaving as Red Skull again. I love because I am a big Hugo Weaving fan, and I just love his character of the Red Skull. And we don't have we don't get like in, we get a little bit of an origin of it. We don't get everything, but that's totally fine for me in this movie. I I love him, and Stanley Tucci is in this movie as his, right. and he gets to do a uh, a German accent and actually does a pretty good job of it. It's not horrible, let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, a lot of good it's not performances. Like Rachel McAdams and a Most Wanted Man. <laughs> That was bad, dude. With, it was. And and Marvel too. Haley Outwell, they totally tapped into something as she's become huge in Agent Carter now. Yeah, so. she's basically like the female version of Coulson as far as like breakout character in like a I wouldn't say like a small whatever, but like I don't think both Coulson or uh, Agent Carter were when they were written intended to be spinoff characters. Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of like it speaks to what those actors just the strength of the actors brought yeah. to those roles. Going back to Hugo Weaving real quick, mm-hmm. I start. I started thinking, and I, I confirmed it with IMDb. That dude, his career has been a goldmine. He's been in. Oh, was Agent Smith in the Matrix movies? Mm-hmm. In the Matrix, the Lord of the Rings, V was, for Vendetta. V for yeah. Vendetta was 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 he in the Hobbits or was he not uh, a part of that? Yeah, he was in the first and the third Hobbit movie uh, for about ten total minutes. But yeah, he was yeah, in the Hobbit. Jesus, yeah. Captain America! How exciting! I am a great fan of your films. Oh, Dr. Askin managed it after all. Not exactly an improvement, but still impressive. 
He's made he's made a nice career for himself. He'll probably money. be in the new Star Wars film, but they just won't say it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Captain America, not not the newer one that everybody else seems to like. I, I like the first one. I prefer it. And I, I've watched both of them a couple times, and I just I can't I can't get it's not I don't dislike the Winter Soldier. I just can't get into it the way I like the first one. I watched yeah. the Winter Soldier again uh, a week ago, and I still wasn't a huge fan. It's not of a it. bad movie. It's not. It's I'm not knocking it. It's yeah. just like. When it comes to the two, I definitely prefer the first one. Yep, agreed. All right, Nick, your number two. My number two uh, is a little film. Hold on, I just want to make sure I got this right in case I get the order wrong, but no, okay. Uh, my number two is Unbreakable uh, by M. Night Shyamalan from the year 2000. I had not seen this film uh, until this week once we, of course, said we were going to do this list. It was one of those that's always been on my list of movies to see just in general. But there was no way I was not going to watch it before we did this list because I had started to hear, as of late, a lot of people kind of heralding it as a great superhero film. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, I watched it, and I completely concur. I feel like this is kind of like what I was saying about Chronicle is in the sense that it's not checking off all the all the tropes of like what a superhero film like today needs to have, like the climatic battle or whatever. And yet... Everything is still present in this movie because it's still organic to the plot that's being told. Because, like, for example, like, the superhero that uh, Bruce Willis is playing, he doesn't have a uh, superhero outfit. However, you could trace his security outfit as, like, a, you know, obviously a a blatant parallel to um, him being a vigilante and whatnot. Um, But in general, I kind of love what this film does with him, uh, Bruce Willis, and the Samuel L. Jackson character um, as far as, like, for me, this this film kind of basically asks one question, which is, what makes a superhero? And I feel like it gives a lot of different answers, but doesn't ever point to one as the overriding mm-hmm. uh, one. And yet, the one that I keep coming back to as far as what's most effective about this film is kind of like, you can't have a superhero without a supervillain. And because it's so old, obviously, I can kind of spoil this, but the central kind of twist that this movie... Uh, goes out with is the idea that this uh the samuel jackson character is not only just the villain but he also kind of made him uh bruce willis what he is because he's the one who kind of shed light on the idea that you are a superhero because you have these extraordinary powers so i just i don't know i just i was really taken by this movie well and that movie goes to the whole idea i think you did kind of hit on try to mention a little bit but you really couldn't have one without the other. That is Samuel Jackson's exactly. whole mm-hmm. that he could not be a true supervillain without finding his superhero yes. counterpart. Yeah. yeah, and and you can especially see that because Samuel Jackson's character is if not just as important, in some ways I feel like it's more important to the film than yeah. even Bruce Willis' character, because first of all, if you really pay attention, it ends with a scene of only Samuel Jackson's character and just like it opens with his character. Like, normally you would reserve that for the hero, not for the villain, but of course the audience, if you're watching it for the first time, you won't necessarily know that. But um, what I love is that, like, it also just humanizes him because it's like he chooses this role as the villain because that's he all he wants in life is a purpose because he has that, uh, like, brittle bone disease kind of thing mm-hmm. going on. And so, um, yeah, I just, there's so many, I'm still kind of unpacking it because I did watch it this week, but there's so many themes uh, that this movie does kind of play into. And um, another little thing that's great about the movie is that M. Night Shyamalan is fantastic when it comes to working with child actors because the the kid who plays uh, Bruce Willis's son um, 
just like when he obviously worked in The Sixth Sense and got yeah. a great performance out of Haley Joel Osment. Once again, in this uh, movie, when uh, the scene when the son is gonna when he takes the gun into the kitchen and he's gonna shoot his father to try to prove that he's a superhero, or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's one of the greatest acting things of just everybody involved that I've seen. And but nowhere does the film try to like I don't know like have that superhero like I'm gonna put on my cape moment and fully acknowledge. There's what no is... montage moment like that. Exactly. Yeah. So. I love that basically you could study this as a superhero film, but also at the end of the day, it's just a really engrossing drama. Like it, it just works as so many different things, and I was a huge fan of it. You talked about the uh, the coloring in the Wolverine. I feel like the coloring that shows different people as different roles, which is very much important in oh, superhero yes. movies, is shown in this film. Also, uh, we were talking about it. A lot of kind of the framing that M. Night Shyamalan used. I mean, this is the kind of film that always makes me think that someday he's going to make another really good movie. And (laughs) I've I've been continued to be proven wrong over and over again. I haven't seen one of his movies since The Happening. I've got a hard rule against watching any of his movies. So if he does make a good one, let me know. We will. I will not be watching. But if if you watch uh, this movie, you can see everything about what made him a really good film director for that eight-year period that he was actually known as being putting out good work i mean there's and and the scene with bruce willis when is his like first scene of being a superhero yeah. in the house with the family that's been held captive and the ending of that scene uh with him struggling with the other person is just and, and with the score that's under it and everything that's happening with it it's it's just a beautiful it's the kind moment. of filmmaking you don't normally see in like a lot of like these Marvel cinematic universes, and I'm not saying that in like in a bad way, but it's the kind of thing Marvel doesn't want. Like yep. they don't want flashy, shall we say, like editing and long takes and that kind of thing. So I just appreciated that. I feel like M Night Shyamalan kind of snuck this in to the studios without saying like this is a superhero film, so that way he got to make it the way he made it. He could have done anything he wanted to probably after the Sixth Sense. Yep. So. And yeah. that's the other thing is that it's so obvious that he's passionate about superhero. And another little thing I want to bring up is that unlike uh, a lot of recent films, I love how I love this movie's relationship with comics because a lot of current day superhero films almost pretend like comics don't exist. And yeah. Like because I think there still is some kind of stigma, I guess, or something as far as like it's cool to like comic book movies, but it's not cool to like comic. But like books. they never acknowledge. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. don't acknowledge comic. But where this was a movie, literally, there's um before the movie starts, there's a. Uh, literally titles that are just about comic books, like saying how many comic books are sold in a day. It's kind of cheesy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But how comic books are woven into the actual narrative of this film is pretty brilliant too because you see like Samuel L. Jackson visiting a comic book store because he's a huge comic book fan. Yeah. And I just kind of love that kind of commentary on how like that informs uh, his worldview. Kind of like he was raised on comics, so therefore he looks at the world through a comic book view. Wrap it up. Oh, my kid's going to go berserk. Once again, please? Uh, my son Jeb, it's a gift for him. How old is Jeb? He's four. No, 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 no. You need to go. Now. What'd I say? Do you see any Teletubbies in here? Do you see a slender plastic tag clipped to my shirt with my name printed on it? Did you see a little Asian child with a blank expression sitting outside in a mechanical helicopter that shakes when you put quarters in it? No? Well, that's what you see at a toy store. And you must think you're in a toy store because you're here shopping for an infant named Jeb. This is a piece of art. Well, like we were talking about with uh, Super, 
about how that the, this is what superheroes actually would look like if they were in the even though right. he does have superpowers and he has things that go against him like water is his kryptonite or whatever um he is still a pretty normal person all so. the way up until like i would say like the last 10 minutes it's it's kind of playing the ambiguity as to whether he's even a superhero or mm-hmm. not because he's still not trying to like admit it to himself which is also kind of a great thing because that once again gets to the heart of the question what makes a superhero is it just self-proclamation is it just somebody saying i am a super i am iron man or you know like that kind of <laughs> theme or is it something that you truly were born with and like can you know utilize at your disposal so yeah i mean i just saw it this week but i i fell in love with it and i want to watch it again already so i'm sure i'd have a lot more to say if we were actually talking about this but that is my uh number two film very it's my favorite m night Shyamalan film and it is my favorite twist of any of his films it, not that it's the most surprising no but, but it also makes the most sense out it of is any of his one twists. of the most organic things uh he's ever done because when it happens, it's one of those things where you figured it out pretty much by the time it's revealed, mm-hmm. and yet it still packs a huge punch because of the way he uh, he just lets this scene play out, and it's fantastic. Very good. My number two is uh, Christopher Nolan's 2005 film Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Really, the kind of the start of everything that happened with the Batman Nolan trilogy. Um, much kind of like, and that's the same thing I've felt about. Batman Superman like when I saw the trailer for this loving the Michael Keaton Batman movies I even like the one with the Joker pardon me with uh, the Riddler and Two-Face that you weren't weren't a fan of Tucson but Batman Forever yeah it's I liked it as especially as a kid growing up watching those I was a huge fan and when I saw this it was going to be more of an origin story it wasn't going to be as much about Batman I was like okay this does such a great job making obviously he's still not but making Batman feel like a real world superhero, which other adaptations, yeah, he's in the real world technically, but I feel like the universe of Gotham and other parts around the world in the Nolan trilogy feels way more like the world that we live in than Gotham does in the Tim Burton or Joel Schumacher movies. And another great thing is that Christian Bale in this film does a great job going from playing Bruce Wayne and kind of his maturation as a person, even though he is playing Batman or whatever, even there's little subtle things like he has the same haircut Mm. as Bruce Wayne does when he's a child, really in the earlier scenes uh, when he's getting involved with thinking about shooting the person who shot his parents. uh, He's not thinking about, you know, actually becoming a person and he finds out he needs to, it's actually a great conversation he has with Tom Wilkinson, who does a great job as Carmine Falcone in this movie conversation he has that drives him to fly away and discover who he's going to be and i feel like kind of with iron man this film does such a great job with its origin story and the involvement with liam neeson and him him and liam neeson's scenes are some of the best scenes in the entire trilogy for me just because it's not him trying to be batman it's actually him discovering what Batman really is to him because he didn't even know what Batman was. He didn't even think about being a superhero, but he had to become a superhero. The thing that I like the most about Nolan's trilogy for the dark Knight is that what what you were saying before Nick, that some, some moviegoers and some film producers, when it comes to comic book films, they want to forget that they're, that comic books actually exist. Like I remember notoriously uh, Tim Burton's line, about the original um, 
like Batman comics. Like he's like, of course I didn't read the Batman comics. And then <laughs> Kevin Smith was like, oh, so that explains uh, Batman Returns. <laughs> like, ooh, <laughs> damn, okay. Um, like with with Nolan, like I think he actually like really cared because being a, a fan of a, a lot of the graphic novels, Batman Begins. But just to, to preface this before, I thought when I went to go see this in the theater that this was going to be the last Batman film I ever went to go see. Mm-hmm. Like, actively went to go see because I was just so exhausted with Batman Forever. Yeah. I was exhausted with Batman and Robin. It was like the last nail in the coffin. So I was like, you know, you just like for some little nostalgia. But just like X-Men First Class, this takes such a different direction yeah. than those films did that you were like, oh man, I'm ready to jump right back on board. Yeah, like the the Batman Begins is actually based around or off of the, the Frank Miller comic Batman Year One, which charts like the first year of, of Batman becoming Batman, but it's also the origin story more of of Gordon, of, of Commissioner Gordon mm-hmm. like becoming his own character. So I thought that was really cool. And the like going back to what you were talking about, Kenny, with Aaron Eckhart and his role as Two Face, that entire arc was taken from Batman the Last Halloween, which is another really good comic that I would absolutely like recommend if you're totally into those films. Like Nolan really cared about the source material, but he made it his own. Yeah, he got really involved with the League of Shadows in this movie, which is which is great. Also Raza uh, Ghoul. Yeah, Raza Ghoul and Ken Wadnapi playing the red herring almost mm-hmm. and playing the parlor trick of he thinks that that's Rosal Ghoul, but really you get revealed that it's Liam Neeson. He comes back for that tremendous final scene involving the train, which they set up throughout the movie, but I feel like it's done so well. And it, it I think another thing is that we see James Gordon sitting on the sidelines in all of the Tim Burton Batman. Like he's involved, but I feel like Commissioner Gordon becomes an actual partner with Batman in the Nolan series. Right. And it starts with him driving the tumbler and like n- trying to figure out how to, and it's those little quirky things that are, this is during the climax of the film and he's fumbling, trying to figure out this joystick in the car, trying to figure out how to drive it. And I mentioned uh, Tom Wilkinson's character, Killian Murphy's character playing, you know, what a, what a bizarre choice. You know, you're thinking you're starting with a Batman film. You're going to pick the Joker, Riddler. He picks Scarecrow. I mean, Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul, who, like, remembering in the theater who Ra's al Ghul was, like, mm-hmm. was one of my favorite characters, but I could not remember his name yeah. for the life of me. Like, he is... Not he doesn't resonate as much as the Joker would. He doesn't resonate as as much as the Riddler would or 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 Two Face. But he is such a an interesting character because he is Batman's mirror image in in a, in a different way. Like where the Joker is like the funhouse mirror version of him. Mm-hmm. Like Ra's al Ghul is just as smart as he is. He's immortal. He is just as well trained, and he actually trains Batman in this one. Yes, and he wants to like save the world. By destroying it. Yeah. which And when he explains it to you, it's funny because when he's explaining all the things and they use actual things that have happened in actual events in real history, mm-hmm. and when you're explaining to him, you're like, oh, I kind of, you know, I'm not like agreeing with him. Like, I kind of see where he's coming from. Like, it kind of makes sense what he's talking about. But that final scene uh, is terrific and involves some of the best lines in any superhero. And there's one, the very ending line of this movie is one of my favorite lines of any movie. But the scene pretty much where he, he kills Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. And then comes back and the Dark Knight Rises. Even though he has this whole rule of not killing people, he, he kills Ra's al Ghul for the Mars part. Even though he could have, he says... He could have saved Ra's al Ghul, well, but he didn't. Yeah, but he sets him up for his, his death, which yeah. is... Um, but the, the very ending line of this film, when 
uh, James Gordon says to Batman, I forgot to say thank you. And he turns around and says like a total badass. Yeah. And you'll never have to. You'll it's just to. such a great line. I never said thank you. And you'll never have to. Sounds cheesy coming from me, but in the in the yeah. when you're in the moment watching, and it's a two and a half hour film, but it never feels like it for me at least. It's the total opposite of Interstellar, where I'm sitting there not looking at my watch, um, <laughs> and I, I just eat it up, and I ate it up, and I think for me another thing is too is that I was not ready to kind of jump on the bandwagon. I I didn't want it to be different from the Batman that I grew up loving, the Michael Keaton Batman, and it was totally different and it was totally unique. And there was just so many good things about it. I, I loved it. Yeah. So. All right, Tucson, let's hear number two. I would say that my number two uh, superhero film is Spider-Man 2. Okay. Uh, the sequel to Sam Raimi's 2002 original. I think what's most notable about this film and that I, I enjoy the most about it is that it documents what is, in my mind, the most interesting period of Peter Parker's life. Like he's graduated high school. He's going to Columbia university. He's living on his own in the city. He's working at the daily bugle. He's supporting his aunt may he's dating Mary Jane. And he's still all while juggling all of this for any other person. This is, this is a full load. He's also moonlighting as a super powered vigilante. <laughs> so, and, and how that all like falls apart when he's trying to like juggle these different priorities. It's, it's, I'm able to empathize with that because, like, having been a college student, I, I know what it's like, like, juggling all those things. Like, oh, shit, at least I don't have to, like, beat up a fucking octopus monster today. <laughs> it's like, shit. <laughs> at least I don't get to have to get yelled at by, uh, by J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson with, like, that military crew cut. Oh, man, he's so good, yeah. J.K. Not Simmons. quite my byline. So <laughs> damn good in that Not role. quite my byline. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Combine that with some of the best stunts and fight scenes I've ever seen in a superhero film, like the entire showdown with with Doctor Octopus, not in the end, but in the middle when they're fighting each other and punching each other while they're standing on the side of a moving like train, and like he gets knocked off and he has to use a uh, a cab door in order to skirt across the the street, and he's like like. Uh, shooting his web in order to like bounce himself out and sling himself back onto it. It's so badass till this day. It was like losing his powers over his uh, lack of confidence and fear over the, the entire oct- octopus thing, losing his relationship with Mary Jane and having to confront one of his former idols as, as his nemesis. And, and especially like the, the imagery that's actually pulled from the source material of him, like walking away from the trash can with the, the Spider-Man, um, like costume, like hanging out of the trash can. Like that's the actual panel right there. Like this is one of my favorite superhero films. I, I can go back to it and enjoy it all the time. I'm trying to remember with the second one, if it's the same as the first one, cause it's been so long since I've seen it, but mm-hmm. going back and revisiting the first one, I couldn't help but notice that from, from the regular scenes in the movie to the action scenes, the action scenes had a, just a, another gear that it would kick into. Yeah. And it was so much better than the rest oh of the movie. God, yeah. I don't know. I, is the second one because I can't remember. Is the I, second I, one noticeably different like that? Where I, I think it's uh, it's just like kind of clunks around in the the regular settings of of just his everyday life, and then yeah. when the action scene kicks in, it's just one of one of my favorite scenes is when he is able to stop the train like, yeah. from from being. Uh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, when he's stopping the train from actually like careening off of the edge, right. and they all just like carry his body, and like he doesn't have his mask on anymore. And he's just like this. He's just a kid. He's like no more, no older than my son. And they give him his mask back. Yeah. And there's all this this 
this communal agreement to never say what this kid looks like. It was like, that is so badass. Oh that's, my god! That's literally you're saying that, and now I'm literally remembering right. seeing that movie in the theater, then right. watching that moment because I just it gives you chills. It, it does, and um, one thing I got to give credit to both Spider-Man one and two, not three. Yeah, let's <laughs> uh, not talk about that. <laughs> is that <clears throat> I feel like Sam Raimi had one of the toughest jobs when it comes to superheroes, and as far as making this particular superhero's powers both cinematic mm-hmm. and logical, because I feel like on paper and in animation and in comics, Spider-Man's powers are not that like you know weird or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you translate that to the big screen, you need both a great sense of special effects and like how to actually plan that out and sense whatnot. of space. Exactly. And he completely does capture that. Like mm-hmm. when he, some of those scenes when he is swinging from building to building, the it, physics yeah. of him propelling himself, like it, before in the, in the Spider-Man cartoon, if you noticed, like when he was like web slinging across the city, it wouldn't actually connect to the edge of a building. It would just go off into the fucking clouds. And you're like, what the fuck is he connecting to? Is he connecting to planes? Yes, little thing like that where it's like they it seemed like they put thought and effort into like every single like inch of the frame mm-hmm. because they had to make sure that if we were watching this like that I I when I was obviously little when I was watching I believed that there's somebody could do this just because it was so well done. Yeah, and also Alfred Molina is uh Doc Ock. Fantastic. And that's another one of those casting choices that I always felt like before it came out, I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting choice. And I could not think of anybody else playing that other than him. Yeah. So. so good. He's one in, he, if not, like if I, if we were to do like a villain list, he would easily be on like either one or two as far as like most memorable villains, uh, this side of like the Joker. Yeah. He's just fantastic. Peter Parker. And the girlfriend. What do you want? <laughs> I want you to find your friend, Spider-Man. Tell him to meet me at the West Side Tower at 3 o'clock. Well, I don't know where he is. Find him. Or I'll peel the flesh off her bones. You guys ready to move to number one? Yes. Are, are, are we ready? Oh. Let's do it. Can you ever be ready? I don't think so. Oh, well, we have to because we have to go to number one. All right, Kenny, let's sit. Let's hear it. I, I'm honored to give the first number one of our top six shows. Oh, very good. Better not fuck this up. <laughs> I actually didn't know why. I didn't know what my number one was until about an hour ago, and I decided <laughs> we we started the show before I decided oh, okay. what my number one yeah. was, but. Uh, my number one, I feel, captures what I enjoy most about movies. It hits me the most as as just a, a regular movie viewer, uh, comics aside. Um, my my number one, do I get a drum roll or something? Oh, here we go. As it just ruins the audio? Good. <laughs> uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Ooh, wow. For okay. me is, it, it's a grand slam in, in every way for me. Um, I, I love music, and obviously... I have to say that's the number one thing I love most about it. It's just got a killer soundtrack yeah. to it. Um, the comedy in it, there's there's so many. It it, it never, it, I mean, it does, but it never takes itself too serious ever. I mean, it, it's got the storyline it follows, but I just feel like they're constantly just jokes being thrown out there. And it makes me laugh more than any other superhero movie I've ever seen. Uh, and I also feel like it's a little bit edgier and riskier than than most of the oh, other yeah. uh, Marvel movies. Um, 
they took they took a chance on this one. They knew we can pretty much do whatever we want, so let, let's try it. Right, yeah. and 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 it for me it worked. I know some people. I've heard some people say they're not too crazy. Like there's, there's some of the language could have been done without whatever, but. Right. I, I I eat that shit up. If you I mean, can I... make a talking tree and raccoon like with a with a laser gun into a success, like you can do anything you want. It's funny because Groot is like a it's like a cult hero from oh, that yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I am one of the breakout Dan- dancing Groot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. So, some of the jokes. I, I love the scene when they're doing the lineup in jail and they're kind of introducing the what characters. A bunch of a holes. Yeah, which was jo- the basis of the the teaser trailer, right? First, which I yeah. can totally see, like because that's just a perfect introduction to these characters. Yeah, John C. Riley's like they call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxies, <laughs> and then yeah, what a bunch of a holes. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I, it, it just it captures everything that I love, not just superhero movies, but in just movies in general. Uh, I loved it from the first time I saw it, and a couple times I have seen it. I actually just like it more and more. Um, this this is pretty much. I mean, I've always I, I like Chris Pratt before this, but this pretty much just it, it sold me on him for sure. This is um, this is kind of what I hope uh, the character of Poe Dameron makes Oscar Isaac in Star Wars. I hope it launches him into another stratosphere that he has not arrived at yet. Yes, yes. I also like when. Uh, when when Rocket is like kind of giving the the game plan for, um, well he he basically he drops a line of like and I need that guy's leg yeah <laughs> actually goes and gets the leg he's like oh I my god did actually get his leg yeah. I, I was, just I was fucking, kidding I'm just fucking up you man <laughs> yeah there's just I, I don't know there's there's so many just awesome jokes that never ever get old. If you like that kind of stuff, because I can totally understand as far as, like, I'm guessing Marvel, the studio, saw the movie Super, directed by James Gunn. And I could, that's like an audition for Guardians of the Galaxy, because, like, that kind of politically incorrectness is kind of in, imbued into this film. One thing, going off of that note really quick, I feel like it's almost underappreciated about Guardians of the Galaxy, is that I, um, the, the character of uh, Star-Lord, now I'm forgetting his actual name, but... Um, Chris Pratt? No, I mean like his Quinn. Uh, yeah, oh, Peter oh, Quill. His, his name, Peter P- Quill. Peter Quill. That's right. Yeah, right. Like the character of Peter Quill is actually one of the more riskier, I would think, like lead characters in a Marvel film because he's like an asshole, like Tony Stark, but yeah. he doesn't even have Robert Downey Jr.'s, I would say, like looks and charms as far as like, or, or even all, all the. I mean, he does, but not all the way like his charisma. On exactly. So like this is like a true. I wouldn't say like an antihero because it's not like a bad person going around like killing people randomly or anything like that. But like the way he treats some of the people. Like, one of the opening jokes is when he reveals that he doesn't even remember who the woman alien in the spaceship's yeah. name, you know, who's on his, whatever. Little th- details like that, that, like, I, I don't, I would never use this term to describe Marvel Studios, but in this case, it kind of applies, which is like, I feel like they did take a risk in so many different aspects. And one of that is in Chris Pratt's uh, portrayal of uh, Peter Quill, which is to kind of bank this whole entire even if it's an ensemble film, but around a very kind of like Han Solo, uh, kind of unlikable, but yet charismatic and like endearing uh, presence. It's funny because there are so many scenes that he, his character reminds me of other characters, not not even in a bad way. Like he yeah. always, that first scene always reminds me of something Indiana Jones would do or something yeah, like that. He literally, I think that's like the most, uh, I would say, parallel is like to most Harrison Ford characters, whether it's Indiana Jones or like the arrogance of Han Solo mm-hmm. type thing uh, that they totally, I think Chris Pratt nailed as far as like brought his own thing to it. But 
And as uh, Kenny was saying earlier, this Guardians of the Galaxy isn't some people's favorite. It was not my favorite Marvel film. Yet hearing you describe it, and I've only seen it the one time, I want to go see it again. Like yeah. I want, I, and I remember liking certain things about that were smaller things in that film, whether it be uh, Michael Rooker who plays the uh, the guy with the blue thing. Yep. The only I, I wouldn't say criticism of this movie, but the only thing that I thought was kind of weird was uh, Lee Pace's uh, villain character of Ronan, which. I feel like kind of to what Nick uh, has mentioned before that villains sometimes aren't given the depth anymore, and he's just kind of that throwaway villain that is almost useless. Like that because they, he's this is given such... it his all, I know. Lee Pace. But as far as the script serving him, it's yeah. a little lopsided. But at the same time, I'm I'm glad that you were able to have that as your number one and kind of describe this the way you did because you got me excited to watch it again. And not that I would never watch it again, but now I want to go watch it like tomorrow. I so. will watch it with you. All right, I, I would too. This literally was just outside my top six list. So. Honorable mention, huh? It will, yeah. That, yeah, I don't know. There, there's movies that I see that, for the most part, 95% of movies I'm cool with just seeing once, maybe twice. There's a, there's a, a, a smaller group that I'll watch several times and be cool with it. There's not many that I feel like, I could watch just an unlimited amount of times and never get sick of it, and this is one of them. I'm still thinking of the soundtrack. Just yeah. The, the opening song is just like, the, the, get yeah. your the, yeah. That opening scene, I'm literally, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic or anything, because it was not my favorite film of last year, but mm-hmm. that opening scene of uh, the Come and Get Your Love musical montage was maybe the most, like, I want to say, uh, like, ecstasy fueled moment I've had in cinema all year last year as far as like just giving me something that's pure cinematic bliss because that's all it is it's just him it's, literally almost like lifting the credit right, title yeah. up with his yeah. hand and dancing to this great 70s song it's like, such I a had, feel good song yeah. and, and yeah. there's so many times in the movie where songs like that happen and Jerry Bond <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy was Marvel tipping their toe in the water and seeing how far they could go. And how weird was, can they get? It was it was a ringing, yes, keep going. And that's, <laughs> you, you, not not right after, but we see soon after Guardians of the Galaxy becomes a huge mega hit. I mean, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was, for almost the entire year, was the number one grossing domestic film yeah. in the United States. It's the little film that could. Yeah. I'm so happy. And even though it was a Marvel property, it yeah. was not supposed to be like Avengers or anything like that. You, you see their now infamous like 20 film list of here's our next five years. What do you think about that? Oh God. But I feel like some of those movies, one like, of them's the sequel to guardians of the galaxy. Yeah, so, but like films right. like the black Panther, I don't know if we would have gotten those if guardians of the galaxy wasn't as big of a hit as it was. I think Marvel was like, all right, they want it. So let's give it to them. Yeah, which yeah. makes it as far as like, I dread <laughs> what Marvel's going to be doing in the <laughs> next five years, because I don't think that's how movies should be approached as far as like, let's come up with 20 different titles, yeah. or whatever. But I also then, on the flip side of that, I feel like that what makes Guardians of the Galaxy one of the most important films Marvel has released as of yet because of just how, if we follow this thread down to where this will go, like just like Iron Man opened up this road that we're currently on, mm-hmm. I feel like Guardians like opening up a whole other road is because of how good and endearing this film is. Yeah. All right, Nick, uh, let's hear... Your, did you have more, Kenny? I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, which is why it's my number one, and it should be everyone else's number one, so we're done, right? Well, that's it. That's it. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, Nick, let's uh, let's hear your number one. You've, you've kind of built this up, so let's, let's, let's hear it. 
Okay, well, I rewatched a film I have not seen in about a decade. Okay, dude, but, I got a movie in my head, and if you say what I'm thinking, I don't I'm... think so. But <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's not like it's like an obscure film, but okay. um, I, I'm just I'm gonna build this up, obviously. Okay. So, but I rewatched this for the first time in about a decade. I had not seen it since I was probably 13 years old or mm-hmm. something. So obviously, mm-hmm. when it came out, I was like the prime target audience for it and everything so and i remember liking it but i wasn't as into movies and such as i am today so i haven't really thought much of it until now mm-hmm. so now we of course we we're going to do this top six list and it was one of those that almost at the last minute i remember that it does so obviously constitute as a superhero movie that i tracked it down rewatched it and holy shit it just it skyrocketed to my number one it it's I will get into it. Don't worry oh. uh, later. But this is the hard tease. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, but this does everything I want a superhero film to do, which is a. It's I think it's hilarious. B. I think the emotional pathos that's just kind of imbued throughout this entire film is so effective and more effective than most superhero films for me personally that I've seen. And yet it also um, I want to I wouldn't say it's meta because it doesn't like truly break any walls or anything like that but yet it does play around with all the superhero tropes that we've come to know and love and whatnot so that's why my number one film is actually the incredibles from 2004 that wasn't it no can you can you tell us what you're thinking yeah i was gonna say what what did you think i I was thinking mystery men (laughs) no no although i did i did uh i was gonna rewatch that the other day me too i I used to watch that all the time right i saw it in the theater yeah but uh no my number one is the incredibles okay because i i I, yeah like i said i rewatched it i basically i fell in love because i had not um just i just i forgot how good of a movie this is um the way it so effortlessly uh, kind of weaves all of its themes into one great and yet coherent package. Yes. It's just amazing. I mean, there is some great stuff here. For example, the whole push and pull between uh, Mr. Incredible and the villain, uh, voiced wonderfully by Jason Lee uh, Syndrome, like that's even on its own, like just there's so much more to the movie. But if you just take that out in, in the context of the movie, that's a great little commentary on like fandoms and like how there has to be some kind of appreciation for fandoms. Like, obviously, it doesn't have to go, you know, full force, but there are certain people that you read about who, like, when they go to certain conventions, they may not be the most approachable and whatnot, but it's kind of like when you sign on to be this hero, whether you're an actor in a movie or, obviously, in the film's narrative, you're, you're a person signing up to be Mr. Incredible or so, you are signing up for like a public persona that you should at least somewhat live up to. So when you kind of neglect that, that that's, that is something that can be so disheartening. And of course, that's what sets up the uh, the film's villain and whatnot. Um, but overall, this is just a... I, I, watched, I was cracking up. I mean, it's so rare for a children's film, I think, to both be some something that's so inherently aimed at children and yet works so perfectly for adults because it is it's full of action it's full of very funny like sight gags and you know like uh um samuel jackson (laughs) by the way uh, i guess we have to mention i know he's in a lot of movies as it is but he's been he's been in a lot of movies that we've mentioned i was gonna say like uh, he's nick fury he's in unbreakable he's in both my two where's my my super suit and that was the line that i was just about to get to was that yes honey where is my super suit like it's the kind of thing that like it's just what a badass (laughs) why do you need to know woman don't tell me what i need to know just tell me where my suit is (laughs) (laughs) Honey! What? 
my super suit. What? Where is my super suit? I little scene like that that just totally pop off the screen in a way that some superheroes film like even like a film that I love Guardians of the Galaxy just doesn't because it's like it's so committed to this hilarious kind of and maybe because it is an animated film that it's able to kind of go the extra mile of just being so ludicrous and whatnot but also there's just so many great narrative devices used in this movie it opens with uh, the great uh, kind of like five minute um montage of interviews where like Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are being like interviewed for news segments and just the cross cutting between their responses to those questions like when Elastigirl because that's the other thing is that it's also very respectful of both male and female superheroes Mm -hmm. and when Elastigirl gives her answer of like what and let men just save the world no like they need us or you know like so it both it lampshades every conceivable superhero trope and yet it still is telling such a effective story about like uh, f- family uh, bonding and all that. I just, oh man, I, I ate it up, and I, I think it's just a, it's, it's a perfect film for me because I don't know what else it could be doing that it's not already doing. I'm guessing you're very excited because Brad Bird just announced that he's working on the second one. So wait, just now or what? <laughs> you didn't know? <laughs> no, I actually that, genuinely didn't know. That, oh, it was like a week ago or something. Oh, a week like ago? That, no, I, I didn't hear that. Dude, um, yeah, I, I will be excited for. That. I mean, I don't know that it could necessarily top what this yeah. is because I. It's the kind of thing that I like because it is its own unique thing, so I will admit, I don't know if a sequel would really do a whole lot for me, but what this is, is just such a playful and yet faithful Mm -hmm. recreation of just what a superhero film should be. And not only that, but once more, going back to the kind of, the bridge between children's film and adults' films, like, this is a film aimed at children, and yet only adults are really going to get everything out of it, because, I mean, think about it. It opens with a suicide attempt where Mr. Incredible saves the guy from killing himself, and yet that's also what why he's going to get sued. And, yeah. You know, there's just so many, like, adult jokes and such like that that are both just – it's just a fantastic the, film. The I whole, could, whole, like, subplot of supers being killed off when he's when, – when, when Mr. Incredible is in that one area that's kind of like the, the room from X-Men. Yeah, where, where it has the, the huge computer screen, and he sees all of his former colleagues, yeah. which was which actually was harkened back in the the early part of the film with with his uh, one secret agent friend who was talking about how they all went underground. Yep, all of those guys are dead. Yeah. Holy shit! And I love the way that this also does play with like the um, the public perception of superheroes and kind of like their relationship, which is like they went out of fashion at one point, and yet now by the end of the movie, and of course now in modern day uh, time, like they completely made a comeback and whatnot. Like I just don't think like if you had to write a film thesis on superheroes, it would come out as The Incredibles. Like for me, like it's just a perfect film when it comes to both being a product of the genre and yet also a an ex- exploration of it. So it it reminded me a lot of not not the movie but the actual graphic novel Watchmen in a in a way because it, it talks about... What, Didn't remind you of the movie Watch. I don't want to talk about that, okay? <laughs> yeah. well, I, I'm sure it's your number one, so we won't talk about it yet. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, the in, in the graphic novel, what you were talking about, how superheroes come out of fashion and they come back again, like that's exactly what happens in the graphic novel, where there is 
there are these people who want to dress up in these costumes and they want to go out and do things like that. But then you also have to deal with the baggage of having these psychological disorders or having these other types of baggage that like there's obviously a reason, a psychological reason that's compelling them to go out and do these things. And to the point where um, in the alternate universe of Watchmen where Ronald Reagan is – not not Ronald Reagan, but Nixon is like the the third term president for some reason. He is actually like wrote up a, a a draft of a bill that outlaws superheroes. So you're not even allowed to have superhero comics anymore. So they go out of fashion that way. Yeah. And this kind of story is a reoccurring theme. I mean, even though X Men is with mutants, mutants are basically mm-hmm. kind of outcasts in the X Men universe. Uh, th- I'm assuming from everything I've seen and w- what's going to happen with the Civil War movie that this is what's going to be coming for the Avengers in Age of Ultron and further on into their Infinity Wars. Not e- even if they eventually get the band back together and all that good stuff, but th- this kind of infighting and not even necessarily infighting, but another word for it would be their kind of... Just character th- conflicts. Well, character conflicts and kind of blowback from... The world around them. Mm-hmm. Not everybody loves superheroes. Yes. They, they love them when they need them, but when they don't, they are like, oh, we don't really need yep. that. Every, that's, yeah. every contemporary canon of superheroes from DC to Marvel to The Incredibles to yeah. Watchmen, they all have this period. And I love this period because it shows the real humanity of having to be a superhero. When when you put yourself above other people, when you are so-called the Watchman, like that's the whole namesake of that entire comic. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the Latin phrase like quis cudustite ipso cudostis, which is who, oh yeah, totally. Who who watches the <laughs> that's wa- going to be in the episode intro, by the way. I hope you know that. <laughs> who who watches the Watchman? Yeah. Who who yeah. who 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 is keeping Superman in authority? Who's keeping Batman in authority? It's like how how do we know we can trust these guys? We don't yeah. elect them; they elect themselves. They're <laughs> dictators almost. And that's the other thing is because it is a children's film, it does have this incredibly good nature about it. Like none of these obviously are; they're not tortured like Bruce Wayne is tortured, or like you know some of the other more kind of like anti-hero like the Mister Incredible is actually you know he's a decent person and everything and. It it also effortlessly marriages the whole idea of like that I I haven't felt since I watched like Spider Man I'll say that much like humanizing a superhero yeah. and how like you're like the problems you have as a superhero are the same exact problems you have as a like a normal person it just obviously looks different because like when he's trying to hide his because uh, he goes back into being Mister mm-hmm. Incredible but he hides it from his wife and he's yet but he's doing it because he's trying to a just trying to relive his glory days and just feel just as important as he once did and yet also provide for his family like that's like that's every modern american family he's got his trophy room exactly so like the idea that it doesn't stretch too far to make its themes so universal it's yeah it's i could go like you when you were talking about the the dark knight or not the dark the, knight, the original batman the original and the batman avengers, and the avengers yeah. I, I could talk about this film for hours because I just think it, it warrants that, So, but I won't. Very good. You just brought up me talking about The Dark Knight, and that is unsurprisingly my number one. <laughs> um, I just remember, uh, kind of preface this by saying I wasn't crazy about Batman Begins. I saw it probably the second week it was released, and for me, being a big superhero fan and loving Batman, that was crazy, but I didn't really have that much interest, and then I was full full on on board after Batman Begins, and then everything with, with Heath Ledger, and I feel like the kind of buzz this movie got the week before it came out was almost unprecedented for any film where 
even uh, pretty much everybody was saying this movie's awesome, so go see it. Yeah. And even though that was from one viewing, so things have happened over time, and I feel like this is a movie that got like such great reviews when it first came out that there was going to be a correction eventually down the road, and there has been with a lot of people. But for me, going into this, I had sky high expectations, and this film met every one of those expectations for me. Just the kind of way that this film weaves throughout its narrative, bringing in two villains, one of which creates the other villain, uh, and you really know nothing about the Joker, too, which we were talking about Heath Lair's portrayal earlier, but he gives these false stories multiple times to people throughout the it, movie. It comes back to the whole reason that it, it, it stems even to the, the, the comic book origin of the Joker, because like saying before with the killing joke, like he would constantly come up with these compulsive liar, mm-hmm. like, like apocryphal stories of his own origin, simply for the fact that there is no one definitive origin right. for the Joker, like spread between all the different medias. There's always something different, which is um, comic book fans criticism of the original Tim Burton Batman is that they changed that where he had a he had a very clear origin and they changed the story where he was the one who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Yeah, a lot of um, people didn't like that. And I totally see that at the time, though, I was totally fine with it. Right. I just loved Joker's character that he creates Harvey Two-Face for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that scene in the middle of the film when, first of all, the scene in the interrogation room between Batman and the Joker is easily one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. Just because first time going into it, you really don't know what like what is going to happen in that scene, even if you've seen parts of it in the trailer. You don't know how that's going to transpire. And that is, I think that scene is where Heath Ledger won his Oscar for the most part. Mm-hmm. The small sort of details his face gives about certain things. It's revealing, but it's it's withholding at the same time. And he's just putting on a terrific performance in that scene alone and throughout the rest of the film. But setting up sort of the decision to choose either Harvey Dent or Rachel Dawes, and he knows who he's going to pick, but he tells them the opposite of what they ended up being. So he ends up saving Harvey Dent while knowing that Pretty much that happened, and Rachel Dawes is now dead because of Batman, the choice that he made. Mm-hmm. But even though he he knows it's not his fault, that's the whole point of the anarchy thing, that he knows it's not his fault, but at the same time, there was nothing he could do about it. And it just – there's so many things about the way that the story is structured, too, even though this is kind of a weird story because it goes from – there's like seven different parts of this movie. It like stops and starts and stops and starts and stops and starts. And – and it can get a little repetitive if you watch this movie too many times in a row. Absolutely, It's not a good movie that you should sit down and watch on HBO three times in a week. But it's what, it's what I call one of those event films that everybody's going to go see. Like, I went to go see this with two friends, and then another friend yeah. wanted to go see it. Then my dad wanted to go see it. I was like, oh, we're going to go see it again. Oh, my God, I cannot sit for this film the <laughs> fourth time within the first fucking week. Don't do this to well, me. Well, and that's kind of what I was saying about how this was an event. Like, people went to go see this movie. Yeah. Even I've, I had friends who uh, were not interested at all in superhero movies. I saw the midnight it. screening, and I don't even like superhero films. I went yeah. to see the midnight screening, and I was just blown away about this. And... Other things that Nolan brought in this movie, we talked about on the Inception episode, that even though I do love that movie, he gets a little, like, he isn't quite in tune with everything in terms of reality, where mm-hmm. this film, even the kind of theory about the the two boats at the end, where the theory that 
faced in that situation that people would ultimately decide not to blow up the other boat, knowing that it's not their decision, but it is their decision. And they could not live with that killing other humans, even if they're prisoners or whatever. This film just is such in tune with that, but all of those things and all those theories are kind of below the surface. And there is an actual superhero narrative that's Mm -hmm. on the story. And, it's just so many great things about this movie. Real quick, out of curiosity, Christian Bale for you, where like as far as Batman goes, how do you where where would you kind of rank him? Uh, he's number two on my list behind Michael Keaton. I, I they're close though for me. I never have disliked Christian Bale's portrayal. There were some things about the second movie, like his extreme throat cancer sounding voice, uh, was a little weird. You mean Clint Eastwood voice? Yeah, Dirty <laughs> Harry. Yes. Um, and there are, there are weird parts of it, but Christian Bale does such a good job for me playing, even though he's more of a mopey Batman or mopey Bruce Wayne, even than other portrayals of it, you see throughout the, the events of the trilogy, why he becomes that, like he becomes a character, his own character. He doesn't have to be that perfect Bruce, even though he plays that character, he is way more in tune of who he is as both Bruce Wayne and Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy than in any other Property of Christian Batman Bale has, has been practicing his entire life to play as Bruce Wayne because he basically plays like a less sociopathic Patrick Bateman yes. as, as, as Bruce Wayne. It's like this is exactly what he is. But also at the same time, the story, I feel like it's always sad because we don't get to see what would have yeah. become of Heath Ledger because the Joker was going. And it would have been really easy for them to CGI uh, throwing him off the balcony and him just falling to his death, much like the Joker did in <clears> – <throat> the 1989 Batman, yeah. which I always feel like that scene had to have been a callback to that with him flying off the balcony. That's the last thing we see of Jack Nicholson. And that's one of the last images we see of Heath Ledger. And then he has that terrific. And another thing about this movie and Wally Pfister does a terrific job in this film, but there are so many things that you don't get out of superhero movies. One of which is Heath Ledger hanging upside down, having his final discussion with Batman and the camera slowly turns so he's facing upright for the viewer. That's just something that you wouldn't think of, but it, it seems it makes so much sense when you're thinking, and you totally go with it in the in the moment. And I don't, I, I, I I kind of all over the place because there's so many things I love about this movie. You know what I really like about this movie? Yeah. The fight scenes when somebody punches somebody, they fucking like they emphasize the punching noise. Yeah. Like yeah. they fucking punch like they mean to punch. There's it. no exclamation like like <laughs> visual explanation that pops on the screen. It's like Wham! No, you, you, yeah, you you actually feel when ba- when Batman is being the shit out of the Joker like yeah. in that in that cell. It's a good hearty thud. Yeah. So yeah. based Holy it. punch Batman. <laughs> Uh, another yes. unsung character from the from the Dark Knight is Eric Roberts, who plays uh, the person who's taken over for Carmine Falcone. Mm. And I love when Batman drops him from the third floor and he breaks his legs. Ooh, and he's like, damn. Yeah. He must have friends. Have you met this guy? He's like, <laughs> yeah. The, the Joker obviously is his own person and doing his own thing, especially in this movie. And I just, I love every part of it. And it, it's great. This is another two and a half hour movie. And the Joker is really on screen for only like 19 minutes. But he is so important to everything that happens throughout the entire movie. His, you know, reactions can create these chain of events that happen through all the characters. And also another thing, a lot of these trilogies now have pretty much gotten, I wouldn't say they've lost their balls on it, but they don't, they don't, not that they don't kill off people, but they don't make choices in them. They kind of go the easy route. Yeah. Like at the end of Iron Man 3, where 
Gwyneth Paltrow falls into the fire, but she's still alive at the end. Right. They kill off Rachel Dawes. Uh, Harvey Two-Face dies at the end of this movie. Like Things happen in this that make this feel like its own film. And even though it ends up ma- making a nice transition into The Dark Knight Rises, it's just a great ending of this film and a great portrayal of how Batman is not a hero. He is a vigilante to the core. And even though this is, without a doubt, a superhero movie, it kind of creates its own thing for Batman where this became its own entity and not following the original character that Bob Kane created many years ago. Right. I, I, what I really like about Christopher Nolan's trilogy is that the, the villains exist in the moment that they, they, they come about. They're not reoccurring. They don't amount to this rogues gallery. Um, Scarecrow is the only reoccurring character throughout all three of the films. And really in the last two films, he's just a cameo. And in the first film, he's really just a pawn of, of Raz Agul. So yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, I'm obviously a fan. And if anybody wants to listen to me, talk about it. I'll, I'll keep talking to them if they want to call me or something like that. Or send me an email. <laughs> I'll talk I just more want about to mention it. one thing really quick. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite set pieces in this film is actually the opening, uh, bank heist yeah. thing. When that was happening, and you know, I saw the midnight screening, and mm-hmm. I'm not in, at all familiar with Batman, or even with what this film was going to be, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. When that scene was happening, and I was watching that in the theater for the first time, I... It was like a pure horror film because when when they're taking off their masks and you know like or not taking off their masks but when they keep shooting the other you know right. accomplice in this height whatever like I just that was one of the most tense like moments I've ever had in the cinemas because of just how well framed edited and just acting that whole thing was because I I figured out where it was going because I was like okay one of these is going to be the Joker yeah, yeah. but yet that's what made it even scarier because then I'm like when is he gonna pop out you know type thing and. And it's just one of the most greatest uh, like set pieces I've seen in any superhero film. And for a film too, it doesn't it it it's not even a slow build because that's only about a ten minute scene. But to to not have the balls even, but to make the decision as Christopher Nolan to start the film with a thirty second zoom in on a building mm-hmm. is you know just yep. and and it works totally with the story and with uh, the IMAX for that screen, which was beautiful. And yep. he he really has pushed push the buttons into using IMAX cameras for a lot of more film. You're making me want to go home and watch the film now. Yeah. 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 Which I think uh, pretty much we've all done with our number one so far. So Jusan, you have a, you have a, you have a tall order here. Let's, uh, let's hear your number one. So this this one was fighting for the top spot alongside Biff, Spider-Man two, and even with mask of the phantasm, it was just constantly jostling back and forth, back and forth. But I'm going to have to say that my six-year-old self would be remiss if I did not make Tim Burton's original Batman my top number one, and it's purely yeah. it's, it's purely for this <laughs> this this one reason out of, out of particular. I could name so many different scenes from this film because I've seen this film so many times. Yeah. It, it's probably in the hundreds, and. What I enjoy the most about it is that I, I watched it at that age that I was able to experience a film on a pure, visceral, visual level. Like I, I could name off scenes. I, I, I could, I, I didn't necessarily understand the continuity of of a of a narrative, but I just was so enthralled with what was actually happening in the film, and why I love this film and why this film means so much to me. Like outside of just being a, my favorite superhero film, one of my favorites is that I can directly look at this film. And pinpoint it as being the origin of my of my entire aesthetic temperament. 
like these these I'm, I'm the exact same these, way these giant, as I mentioned before these yeah. giant sprawling like cathedral esque skyscrapers and this art deco style and and this constant interplay of like chiaroscuro like dark shadows and 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 warm lighting like like the the balance between those two and every everything about it like at, from a design standpoint like that is the template for what I like now today in in films like just in not only just in films but just in art and in, in music and everything um michael keaton like delivers a, a great role as as bruce wayne as as batman mm-hmm. um i think going back to what i said before about mask of the phantasm that kevin conroy is going to have to probably be like one of those neck and neck guys for that that role but i think he he totally knocked it out of the park i thought it was a a tremendous film it's very much a a film that's very dated in its time in prince that, yeah prince i was just about to say prince like, that museum scene is uh something it's it's funny you say that because when i um when i rewatched this film with my friend adam a couple of years ago and he actually goes to the uh like the academy of art in, in chicago like he he was reacting in a very different way than i was <laughs> not the rembrandt he was just tearing that shit apart like no oh my god <laughs> this monster it's like yeah so that was a that was a lot of enjoyment uh, on my part but yeah I, I i don't know what what more to say about this film in that it is totally responsible for the movie goer that i am today it, the genius um aspect of this film is another thing in the second act that kind of gets glossed over sometimes when the joker is poisoning all of Gotham mm-hmm. City and Batman basically figures it out, which is kind of it doesn't really, if you think about it too much, doesn't really make sense. But it makes sense because you know that they yeah. are the hero villain against each other, and he's figuring out his things. That just seems like something that could happen in one comic book yeah. you know, edition, and it's something that they brought into the second act of this film. And it's one of those things that doesn't really matter at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but it's it brings them their characters together, which is something that would happen in the comics. One image that just like leaps to my mind just now during the the finale, when uh, Bat like Bruce Wayne is Batman is flying the Batwing right, and he soars above the clouds and he stops right before the moon, yeah. and I'm just like, oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's so cool. But if we saw that today, I'd be like, oh, that's fucking cheesy. Yeah, but back then, it was just the shit, man. I'm yeah. like, oh, man. And that like also... the prototype for the bat signal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That is also uh, one of the best lines of that movie is Jack Nicholson's The Joker. Why did he get one of those things? He's talking about the... Uh, <laughs> Where does he get those wonderful toys? Yeah, that's, that's at the end when, of the museum scene. When... Um, yeah. when the the Batmobile has like the armor plating that just like mm-hmm. goes over. It. I just thought that was so badass. And my, one of my favorite endings is the pan upward from the bottom of the skyscrapers and the the Batman theme song just like ringing out along with the church bells and just seeing him just like stooped over like the edge and and the the bat signal just like over there and just fades out. Oh my god, it's it's awesome. Yeah, Alex just showed me this movie for the first because I had never seen it uh, really? until this year. Um, and so he showed me both because I had watched Batman Returns mm-hmm. before I watched this for some reason. But that happens. Um, yeah, and uh, but it's because of Christopher Walken, right? <laughs> no, it was mostly just because I heard that that was the more. Burnt-y. I watched Empire before I went to go see the original Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was and, weird. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like, that's like even more serialized yeah. than these. But um, and when we watched it together, I. I, it's not my favorite Batman film, but I had a lot of fun with it. And this is like a weird thing to bring up, but 
I feel like I have to just because I'm thinking about this. But I have to say, the guy who plays um, Alfred, yes, is my favorite Alfred as well yes. because, like, it's not necessarily against what Michael Caine is doing in the Dark Knight series because he perfectly fits that universe. Mm-hmm. But I don't like that. I don't think you could ever top. Uh, I, I don't know who it is, but because um, now it's going to eat me up. But obviously, we all have smartphones. So we're all going to look it up yeah. right now. But um, that is my favorite uh, iteration. Michael of... Goff? Yeah. Yes. Michael Goff uh, is my favorite iteration of Alfred because there's just something that he's not taking it so seriously. Mm-hmm. that it's. But he's also, you could totally tell that he is the person that is taking care of Bruce Wayne. Like, he's both a, he's serious enough to be a mentor figure, but he's also not taking it yeah, so seriously. I don't know. I just, I, he, I was surprised by how much I actually liked his little he role. He comes off as both a... A stern disciplinarian for this kid growing up, but also as a loyal confidant, and yeah. that's the 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 balance you have to strike with Alfred. It's like when I first saw Michael Caine in Batman Begins, I was like, "Man, yeah. I'm not feeling this." But he was he he came into his own. He's definitely yeah. good. But yeah, actually, what you just said pretty much highlights what I was noticing, which is that like. It's almost like their relationship has never changed no matter how much older Bruce Wayne gets because mm-hmm. he still always sees that little boy uh, that he raised. And yeah. Whatnot. Yeah. So that's what I, I loved uh, as far as the rapport and what uh, what Michael Goth brought to that role. Uh, a lot of other people did not like about that movie that he let Kim Basinger into the Batcave. So. Well, <sighs> well, he's got to trust somebody sometimes. And it, it, it's a movie, so you need to make some choices here. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, And it's yeah. Kim Basinger, so why wouldn't yeah, you? Of course. I, even though this wasn't my favorite Batman movie, that's my favorite time period for right. Batman. Because yeah. that just, it, it always, like, as a kid, that's the Batman I knew. And so that's, whenever I think Batman, that's the Batman I Were go back to. Were it not for Tim Burton's Batman, I wouldn't be watching Batman the Animated Series when I was a kid. And I was like, that's one of my favorite cartoons of all time. There's something about, like you were just saying, Kenny, that era of Batman, and specifically what Burton did with the franchise, that is such a wonderful bridge between the campiness of the Adam West yeah. uh, era yeah. and yet the, the seriousness of what no one would go on to do, that I, you get the best of both worlds when you watch them. And I, I totally understand why like, it would be number one. the Joker, Jack Nicholson pulling out that excessively long gun out of his pants and apparently he's just yeah. head in there the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, that means something totally different now looking back or when he goes to shoot the gun and it, it has the little flag that comes out of it or yeah. whatever or the box with the uh, the yeah. fake hand or something like that it's it's much more of something you would see in the you would, you would think of like you would see in the Adam West right. Batman it's you like can't it's, make an omelet without breaking a few eggs and he just breaks the mirror yeah it's like what I would call like circus noir like yeah. where it's got this carnival funhouse vibe to it because Burton's obviously seen the 60s Batman and whatnot mm-hmm. but it's also like it, it's dark for being like yeah. the first time Batman was dark in a uh, audiovisual sense not yeah. in obviously the comics or anything like that um, so yeah no um, I, I'm a big fan of it I'm gonna go for strike three here Uh-oh. I've got Uh-oh. one more roller coaster reference to me oh, okay <laughs> growing up going of to course, amusement yeah. parks yep. Batman the ride is at so yeah. many of the six flag parks and I just like standing in line waiting for that ride hearing Prince and those cheesy 80s songs and just everything about it like that's my favorite Batman time period when I think Batman I mean I, I like the Christopher Nolan ones more they're just stunning yeah. visually and, and, and you know There's- everything's just more advanced and current but this this time era for for batman that this is the one that i like and even, it, even the little things down to all of the jokers henchmen all wearing the same coat and hats and they all drive the exact same cars it's just 
something that you would think would happen in a movie like this. Yeah, I think it says something. It's not so much that we're obviously not going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's Batman films in 20 to 25 years, but it almost seems like even more of a long shot that the films that Burton made as far as like what these films contain is like there's they are that endearing and like almost tr- like like trance like as far as like what he brought to them that we are still talking about them like 30 years after because they are even more than Nolan's film despite the fact that I feel like obviously if I were to quiz my friends on which one they've seen it would always be like the Nolan film over the uh, the Burton film like the Burton's one are what I think is the public's perception of who Batman truly is yeah and I I would I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And again, as I mentioned a couple times, I went into the Christopher Nolan, even though I ended up liking them, two of them more yeah. than the original Batman, I still had a hard time trying to separate that world because I loved the original Tim Burton Batman. And I also, I think I mentioned this to you, Nick, I love that he had constraints put on him hardcore for this first movie. I mean, yeah. he was he didn't know necessarily exactly what he was going to be as a filmmaker all the way at this point. But he also, the studio was like, listen, we can't have what would end up happening in Batman Returns, which is fine, because it's a whole totally different film. And it, 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 Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's a different film. Yeah. Like, it's not the same, because I prefer Batman Returns to Batman, but that's only because I just really eat up, like, auteurism as far as, like, when a director just goes all out. Yeah. Of course, that's also what I hate about Tim Burton present day. <laughs> but um, when he was doing it back then, when it's all, like, practical effects and yeah. stuff, I, I eat that up. But I also do enjoy the original Batman just almost just as much. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is our top six list, our first top six show. Um, did anybody have any honorable mentions they'd like to bring in? Of, of thing- We've kind of mentioned it as four of things that just missed the list, but it, any movie that hasn't been mentioned that somebody really wanted to get to before? Mystery Men, Mystery Men, Mystery Men. Uh, we've already I mentioned watched, that one. I so. watched that all the time when I was a kid, I, I have to admit. Let's see. Um, I wanted to mention The Incredibles. Okay. Oh, did you? And Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> oh, and, and um, let's see. The, the Phantom and The Shadow. The earliest superhero films that I had seen, those are more of the prototype pulp superheroes of their times. Like, they were just like the crime fighters. Whether they're good or not, like, I gotta say, they don't make them like that anymore. They really don't. And that's why I would actually be interested, because I watched The Phantom all the time when I was a kid, because a friend of mine had the VHS, and it was just one of those, I feel like we watched it, like... He always used to want me to watch uh, the Tim Burton Batman films, and I never wanted to because I was like a weird kid like that. Like, if, like if people talked about it, then I didn't want to watch it. But like, instead of ET, I watched Mac and Me over and over. And I don't know why, but anyway. Uh, but he, but he, yeah, I'm serious. But he had um, he had a copy of the Phantom with. Billy Zane on VHS, and I always kept choosing that one because I, I'd never heard of the Phantom and yeah. whatnot. But just remembering, I still have memories of it, which is kind of insane to think because we were like seven years old and whatnot. So uh, there is something weirdly like old timey and yet kind of like like you said, pulp and just classic about mm-hmm. it. That I obviously, if I rewatched it now, I probably wouldn't like it as much as I did back it, it's then. It's like um, Jim Curry's Jim Curry's The Mask in that it occupies yeah. this this sort of like ephemeral time period of. 1930 40 revisionism yeah. it's like it, it, it occupies like this this interesting little period that you can't really pinpoint because it never really existed yeah yeah i wanted to throw out the green lantern i thought that was a yeah, totally kidding <laughs> totally say, kidding don't, Jesus, you, don't man. You even go there the man. only the only movie i can think of superhero wise worse than that was the green hornet 
which was just a Yeah, she just put green in the title, apparently. <laughs> it's just not good. Um, I, I did like the X-Men franchise, like I kind of alluded to earlier, yes. and I just, uh, it, it's been so long since I had seen them, I didn't really want to put it in a list because I didn't have much to say about it, but, but it kind of also faded out. I, it fizzled on me and I lost interest in it, but now you guys have got me interested in going back and watching That's all of them That's my again. biggest regret of my list as far as, like, I didn't get a chance to rewatch X-Men right. and X-Men uh, X2, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think that they would have made the list for, as far as how I remember them, but I do think they're strong contenders as far as, like, just like, I don't know, did they come before Spider-Man or after? Because after. I f- Oh, they were at, no, I think X Men was, was two thousand. Yeah, I was oh, gonna say I think oh, X Men around the same time. Like yeah, they well, truly were the modern template, like kind of like what you said about Spider Man. As far as I feel like that was like the modern template of like populous superhero mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. But I almost feel like X Men and um, was almost kind of what influenced Nolan as far as like not obviously Nolan's got his own style and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But as far as like how superheroes can exist in this dark and kind of gritty world and yet still be kind of consumed by the mainstream audiences and and brian singer actually did a great job with those original two because we wouldn't have five more films or so uh, afterwards without him yeah and we talked a little bit about days of future past but that was one yes. of them that just missed on my list and uh, me i was not a huge fan uh, of the x-men series in general even though i did enjoy the first two yeah. Uh, they weren't my favorite superhero movies, and uh, we went and saw Days of Future Past just to give it a shot, see what was happening with it. And I feel like that movie did so many things on so many different levels that it just is a great film to watch um, and great performances, which is something you do not get in all superhero movies at all. Michael Fassbender putting on a terrific performance uh, as Magneto. And that's the great thing about Days of Future Past is you get Ian McClellan playing Magneto. You get mm-hmm. the separate separate X-Men entities almost. I was going to say, like, as someone who doesn't read any comic books or whatever, like, I was... Once, when you dragged me to it, uh, to Days of Future Past, and after we got over, like, the first 10 or 20 minutes, as far as, like, me realizing, like, oh, this is actually going to be good, <laughs> like, that's when I started nerding out at this idea that we're going to get both, you know, both, the best of both worlds as the portrayal of, you know, the young versus the old, and because it's got that sci-fi uh, time travel plot element to it that I just completely ate up. Even if it's not my favorite X-Men film, there's nothing quite like it in that franchise. Well, and it, it does its own thing with time travel. Yeah. And it actually seems in the comic book world to be quite logical too. So it is the most transparent way of trying to reconcile all of the 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 disparities between all of the X Men films, which is I feel like a little bit that that film may have opened Pandora's box to other properties doing that. We're already seeing something similar with the Terminator Genesis movie, but I give it credit for trying to like kind of acknowledge those loose ends because like X uh, men, the last stand, you know, was a horrible piece of shit. <laughs> and yet this film also presupposes that like, like the, those things happen mm-hmm. and let's take care of them and, yep. and fix those problems. So I'll, I'll still argue to this day that I think that the X men like franchise, and I've already told you guys this before that I think the X men film franchise is the most loyal to the source material, if not in the actual substance, but that in the actual like, like style yeah. of the originals. The biggest praise I can give that franchise as a whole, whether it be the ones I mentioned on my list or the honorable mentions, is that I think there's been seven films now because there's been the wolf. Yeah, there's been so seven. many. There's yeah. been seven films now, um, and I like four out of seven of them. Like I know that sounds like. 
a low number, but for somebody who doesn't really get into superhero films, mm-hmm. that's a huge hit ratio yeah. of me. Like I would revisit more than half of the films that and it's also yet the longest running so i just don't know how it continues to do what it's doing and i know and my wife is one of the people but i know lots of people whose favorite x-men character was gambit who's almost not been mentioned in the entire x-men franchise except for a small scene in x-men origins wolverine and he's going to be in the apocalypse apocalypse movie played by channing tatum of course and oscar isaac we're getting oscar Isaac. isaac's going to be the villain and it yeah it's it, I feel like this series, uh, that not, will, oh, not that it's going to only go up from here, but I feel like it's absolutely on the right path right now. I literally, X-Men Apocalypse will be the first time I will ever be disappointed by a superhero film if it is not good. Yeah. Because I normally don't have these kind of expectations. Right. But if you have Oscar Isaac and you have where they're currently going on this trajectory with the X-Men franchise and you fuck it up, then I will come after you. <laughs> well, maybe they'll choose uh, Brett Radner to be the director for that movie. Apocalypse oh, is boy. pretty much the Thanos of the X Men like, yeah. like franchise. Yeah. Which, yeah. all right, guys, I think we did a really nice <laughs> job with uh, this top six uh, episode, and uh, we'll have more of these coming in the uh, future. Uh, we've been naming our favorite superhero movies. If you have your top six list and you want to send it to us, uh, send it to filmtankshow at gmail.com. We'd love to uh, read it on the air on uh, our next episode or down the line if you send it there. And also, if you uh, you know are excited that we brought up a movie or you uh, think we missed something, please mention that to us again at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us uh, at filmtankshow.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, also, you can get a hold of us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Film Tank Show. So, from Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, Kenny Marcellus, and myself, Alex Diekman, we will catch up with you next week for our Avengers of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron. I almost got that right. For our Avengers Age of Ultron episode, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Take it easy.